Yeah, it's time for Jim Cates at CJ Online. News, opinion, interviews, and community conversation. Live and online. Join Jim and his guests by calling 295-1150 or emailing jim.cates at cjonline.com. And now, from the Topeka Capital Journal and cjonline.com, here's the Dean of Talk Radio in Topeka, Jim Cates. Good morning, Topeka. This could be an anything-can-happen day. I think uh, we've got our sound problems corrected, and our apologies for <laughs> Monday's sound, but I think everything is under control, so we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, we did receive a little feedback, needless to say, after Monday's show, but I think everything is all well and good, other than the fact that we don't have a guest in here this morning. So, Jim Gardner was our guest last Friday, and Jim was going to make every attempt because we were having some challenges in the studio last Friday as well. And Jim did say that he was going to make every attempt to come in this morning between 8 and 8.30, so hopefully Jim's on his way. At 8.30, we have a former Topekan that has made good throughout the world, as a matter of fact. Her name is Lillian Singpeel. And she is a world-renowned, world-famous opera singer. Graduated from Topeka West High School. In fact, she graduated the same year as my daughter did. And she's going to be joining us, I think, by phone at 8.30. She was going to attempt to make it uh, into Topeka today. Uh, if not, she will be joining us by phone around 8.30. So we're going to be talking about opera. She's going to be appearing, by the way. Sunday afternoon at the Topeka Public Library. She does uh, still has family here in Topeka and comes back occasionally. And uh, this is going to be a performance at uh, the Topeka uh, Public Library for somebody that is world famous. So if you're an opera fan or if you know Lillian, you might want to take that in Sunday afternoon. Around 8.45 or so, Pam Wallstrom is going to be coming in. And we're going to be talking, spending a few minutes talking about the Capper Foundation, a big fundraiser for the Capper Foundation. Tomorrow, some good friends of ours, Merlin and Teresa Strong, are having a garage sale. They had one about six months ago, raised in excess of $1,000 for the Capper Foundation. Well, they're having another one, and it is actually going to be at the Capper Foundation at 3500 West 10th. Anybody that wants to take um, whatever you might have for sale by the Capper Foundation, you can do so today, and they'll toss it on the tables and the Capper Auditorium, and that's going to be a huge garage sale tomorrow morning. So if you're a garage sale aficionado, this is one you don't want to miss. And I'm not garage sailing about every Saturday morning. I'm always scrounging around looking for old records, the old 45s and LPs. So I'm going to be one, one of the first people through the tour as well tomorrow morning at the Capper Foundation. We'll be talking about that around 845 and at 9, Lee Hartman is coming in, and Lee is the publisher and the editor of Topeka's other newspaper, uh, entitled The Metro Voice. You remember The Metro News, of course, owned by Denise Hall. Well, The Metro News is now basically just a legal newspaper. Uh, if you're into legal notices, if you are a lawyer, uh, possibly a realtor, uh, certainly if you have a mortgage company, I'm sure you subscribe to the old Metro News. Well, this is The Metro Voice. And it's a local paper, local stories, with a Christian twist. Uh, it's a unique paper. It's been around for five years. And Lee Hartman's going to be joining me at 9 when we talk about the top stories of the week. And then, of course, Dave Jackson's coming in at 10 o'clock. And we'll be talking about uh, lawn and garden tips, as we do virtually every Friday. So all that's coming up today on the show. Monday, we've got... Um, 
I know a Republican legislator coming in, Mike Burgess, possibly a Democrat as well, and we're going to be talking about the upcoming 2011 legislative session. We're going to be speculating on what's going to happen a week from Tuesday, Election Day, <coughs> November the 2nd. It's going to be a big one in this state and obviously nationwide as well. So we're going to spend an hour talking about politics, and then at 9 o'clock, Jonathan Williams is coming in. Jonathan's been a regular guest off and on over the years on the show. He's out of D.C., and over the past uh, several years, he's written an annual book entitled Rich States, Poor States. A fascinating read. It basically takes a look at our 50 states and compares our 50 states where they stand on tax and spend issues, uh, economic stability, economic future, policies that uh, could stimulate or hinder the growth of the states. So it's going to be a great hour. It always is with Jonathan Williams. And uh, again, he's not partisan one way or the other. We're just simply going to be looking at the economics. What works and what doesn't if you're trying to stimulate job growth, if you're trying to stimulate a state's economy. So been a great guest in the past, and we'll get into where Kansas stands Monday morning on the show. And that's going to run all between 9 and 10 or so. So all of that's coming up. Today, a lot to talk about. Uh, Tim Richard's not going to be with us Monday. He's going to be taking a week's vacation, and Tim has spent so many Mondays in the studio while he was on vacation. This time, he's, uh, he's making a run for the border. He's headed to Texas next week, and uh, he's going to be taking a look-see at the Texas Stadium. And uh, Tim's quite a, quite a sports fan as well as a musician and an accomplished reporter. Tim kind of does it all. Uh, he's a man for all seasons, believe you me. So he's not going to be with us Monday. So we're not going to have anybody really in to talk about uh, City Hall and courthouse issues. But we can spend a little time talking about it this morning because it appears my guest is running a little late and might not be with us because he was going to attempt to reschedule to where he could be joining us today, and maybe that uh, just simply didn't work out. So we appreciate the fact that he did come in last Friday, and again, our apologies for not being able to get the show on the air, but we've got her squared away now. But at any rate, the latest with our county commission. Let's take one more look at this petition drive. And again, uh, for those of you that are regular listeners of the show, you're certainly aware of what I'm talking about. When our Shawnee County commissioners, our three commissioners, rather than reducing or controlling spending at the county level, what they chose to do to ensure there wasn't going to be a mill levy increase for county residents, they basically just took $2 million of money that normally was passed through the county into the city of Topeka. Well, this time they didn't pass the money through. They took the lazy approach and a very fiscally irresponsible approach with no attempt made to cut spending anywhere. They just kept $2 million of the city's money. And that way they could go out and brag about the fact that they didn't increase anybody's mill levy. Well, true. But they also <laughs> didn't in decrease government spending. In fact, uh, they went on yet another wild spending spree. Well, as a result of this, needless to say, there were some city residents very upset by the fact that they were $2 million poorer because of the county refusing to give the city the $2 million they were entitled to. Uh, one, Bob Story, I ran into Bob Story, um, respected attorney here in Topeka, ran into him Monday, 
And our former mayor, Joan Wagner, were the two individuals that basically formed a group, and they organized a petition drive to hopefully garner 1,700 signatures that would force a special election so the city could get their $2 million back from Shawnee County. Well, several problems with this. One, they were successful on their petition drive. Now the county has roughly three weeks to go to where they've got one of two op uh, options. A, they can simply ignore the whole thing, which basically will ensure the fact that we have a special election. Now, the problem with the special election, folks, is that we're talking about $2 million at play. A special election is going to cost the taxpayers of Shawnee County anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000. So the best case scenario, we're going to waste 5% of this $2 million to hold a special election. The worst case scenario, if the cost goes up to $150,000, which would mean a mail ballot election, the cost could go uh, upwards of $150,000. So that means now we're talking about spending 7% of the money that we're arguing over. This money is absolutely going to be going to be wasted. With all due respect to the petitioners, I can understand being very, very, very upset with the fact that Commissioner Vic Miller, once again it appears, was just trying to stick the needle in the eye of the city just for the pure fun and delight of doing it. But this petition drive, if successful, folks, it's going to cost the taxpayers of Shawnee County up to 7% of this $2 million that they chose to keep. Now, what the Shawnee County commissioners can do, I don't think there's any, any doubt in anybody's mind that if we hold a special election, Shawnee County is going to have to give up their $2 million and give it back to the city. I mean, we've got city residents, we've got county residents, everybody is upset with Commissioner Vic Miller and his other two commissioners for keeping this $2 million. So hopefully the county will elect to say, no, nah, we're not going to have a special election. It's not going to do anybody any good. What we're going to do is simply give the money back to the city. So we shall see. But the county's got three weeks to do this. If they don't, then folks, be prepared to spend hundred dollars to $150,000 for a special election. Good morning, Jim Garner. Good morning. Good to have you with us. By the way, we're on the air today. Hey, this is a this is the way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> this is a real treat. Appreciate you coming back. You it's bet. always always good to have you on the show. Jim, you've been our Secretary of Labor for how many years now? Uh, in the state of Kansas. It will be. I'm coming up on eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, were one of Governor Sebelius's first appointees. I was part of the original cabinet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And former legislator. How many years in the uh, legislature? Twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. Okay. So you came out of the legislature and then went into the Department of Labor. And no longer... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I actually, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, paybacks are painful. Uh, I kind of regret some of the things I did to past cabinet members when I was in the legislature. Uh, <laughs> it all comes full circle around on you, you know? <laughs> Have the Republicans really done anything to impact... Your department, uh, do politics come into play as far as funding for the Department of Labor? No. Have you run no. into any no. partisan? I don't remember when I was in the legislature, I don't remember much about that experience. But I don't remember partisan politics coming into play pertaining to the Department of Labor. 
It, it's uh, and, and I think it, it goes what you were alluding to is funding. Uh, uh, the vast majority of the funding for the Department of Labor comes from federal funds. Uh, so our, our our funding is primarily a grant from the U.S. Department of Labor uh, to administer those programs. So there's not I mean the amount of state general fund uh, money you know state tax dollars that are in this agency are, is less than one percent of our our uh, overall funding budget. Well, how much time, uh, Secretary Garner, do you have to spend under the dome during the legislative session testifying? A lot. A lot. Uh, I I quit counting the last uh, legislative issues would be what uh, you're called in to testify. Why would um, we be calling Secretary of Labor Jim Gardner in to testify? Okay, I appeared uh, last uh, legislative session over 20 times before legislative committees, and it was primarily about the economy. I mean, the economy now is a big issue, so people want to know what's what's going on, what are the job numbers, what are what's the unemployment rate. And then the uh, the other uh, big issue is, is unemployment benefits uh, with big uh, uh, increase in, in demand for uh, unemployment benefits as, as people were laid off over the last two years. That was a big issue. And then uh, probably the, the biggest issue this last session was the um, uh, our unemployment insurance trust fund. We depleted the, the money in the trust fund. And... Uh, that's never happened before, so that uh, that's just a reflection of how deep and 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 long the recession was. So the, that became a big issue because that is funded. Uh, that's not federal funds that fund the trust fund. That's the the trust fund is the money that pays unemployment benefits, and that is funded by uh, taxes on employers. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so that's the, got to be going up, uh, isn't it? Oh yes, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's like uh, it, it's unemployment insurance word is insurance. So it's like any other insurance program when there are a lot of claims. Somebody's uh, got to pay this. Uh, a hailstorm comes through town. Uh, your car may not have got hit by, by hail, but a lot of your neighbors did. Uh, you're going to see an increase in, in, in the cost uh, because of the insurance company has to pay out the, those, those benefits to, to cover that, that damage. Which same makes thing, sense. Same, same thing happens in unemployment. Um, there's a huge payout because of uh, increase in, in claims. Uh, we've got to replenish that fund, so everybody everybody's going to feel an increase in the, in unemployment taxes. Well, Secretary Jim Garner, let's run through some basic uh, figures, if we could. Hey, how long can you draw unemployment now? I know where the feds have stepped in. Right. If uh, I go on unemployment Monday, how long can I draw an unemployment okay. check? Regular regular unemployment benefits. That's the Kansas program. It's 26 weeks. Yep. Uh, and as you mentioned, because of the, the, the recession back, uh, it started in 2008, uh, uh, August of 2008, Congress started doing extended uh, unemployment programs. Uh, there are now three tiers of benefits uh, that a person could be eligible for. You have to qualify for each tier, though, and, and meet those uh, qualifications. Uh, you could be up to, in Kansas, up to uh, a maximum of 86 weeks. 86 weeks. Yeah. Okay. Now, once you hit that 26 weeks, Secretary Gardner, who administers the program? I've gone 26 weeks. I don't have a job. Does all of this, is all of the money still routed it's, through the Department of Labor? Absolutely. It, so it's, it's kind of seamless. It, yeah. It, it okay. goes, it's, it's, uh, uh, we enter into an agreement with the uh, federal government to administer the program. They provide us the funds for those extended benefits, mm -hmm. but we, we do the administration of determining eligibility and uh, uh, 
providing okay. you know uh, providing the funds. Now benefits: uh, the least, uh, the smallest check that you write, and the largest check. The smallest check that we write is one hundred and eight dollars a week. One hundred and eight dollars. That's, that's the, the minimum. Smallest. That's the minimum benefit amount. Okay. The maximum benefit amount is uh, four hundred and twenty-five dollars. Four twenty-five. Now, who sets that now amount? The, 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 the secretary, the, do you set that amount, or is this set by the legislature every year? It's Where set, do we get these? It's set figures? in statute. It's set in statute. It's a uh, uh, a percentage, and uh, it's. I am. It's. I'm blanking on what the percentage is, but but uh, uh, the. Uh, there's just a preordained formula right, out right. there. It's, it's, it's a percentage of the uh, average weekly wage in the state of Kansas for all workers, what the average weekly wage is, and then there's a percentage. The the uh, the goal historically has been to provide 50% replacement of, of wages. So you try to do okay. – I think in Kansas right now we're providing about 47% is our average replacement. Uh, What's the average check that you write? Average check is $312 right now. 312 That's $312. what the average Kansans drawing. How many Kansans do we have currently drawing unemployment? Wow, this is, you're really quizzing me today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the average uh, – um, I have that right in front of me. And to tie in with that, Secretary Jim Garner, a longtime friend, Jim and I were in the legislature together many years ago when Jim was representing uh, the Coffeeville area, and I was representing Southwest Topeka at the time. Uh, Jim has since gone on to bigger and better things, and I'm hosting so a talk show. <laughs> <laughs> we went in opposite directions. You, you were the, you're the successful one. Uh, uh, there's 48 uh, total. I mean, drawing regular benefits, the federal extended benefits. Is a little over forty-eight thousand Kansans. Okay, has this figure stabilized? Are we seeing an increase, decrease? Where were we six we, months ago? Where seeing, do you think we're going to be six months down the road? We are seeing a, a, a major decrease. Uh, example: uh, this uh, uh, for, for the month of September, continuing claims, uh, uh, people continuing claims. We had about one hundred ninety-four thousand continuing claims for unemployment in. Uh, in September, a year ago, it was 275,000. So there's been a huge drop in the continuing claims. And we've been seeing over the past uh, months the number of first-time claims for unemployment benefits have, is pretty much, it's, it's gone down and kind of uh, stabilized. So. Jim, do you have, Jim Garner, do you have any statistics that shows where Kansas is in relation to our other 49 states on, you know, the tracking and trending of all this? Because our situation in Kansas, if you, as you pointed out, it's improving. Mm -hmm. Where do we stack up? Well, uh, we are significantly, uh, significantly better than what the nation is experiencing as a whole. Um, our state unemployment rate, um, uh, September, is 6.6%, which is high. It's high for Kansas, but uh, significantly lower than uh, the national rate. The national rate was 9.6. So we're, we're three points below uh, the, the the national unemployment rate. So the national unemployment rate's been around 9.5, 9.6%. We're 6.6%. So uh, we're we're in that tier of lower states on on unemployment rate. You know, breaking the state down, I guess, in quadrants or however you want to break it down. Where are we in the best shape? Where are we in the worst shape? Well, you can just draw you can draw a line. <laughs> uh, you know, go from. Uh, uh, West of Kansas City, and then down past uh, Wichita, uh, everything to the east of the line is uh, experiencing much higher uh, unemployment than everything west of the line. Western Kansas is is uh, uh, 
not experiencing this the, the same eco, economic downturn. So they're below the 6.6. Oh yeah, I mean there's counties out in uh, out in western Kansas, four percent unemployment, and, and uh, I mean there's there's counties out there that are that are uh, uh, seeking. You know they got they got jobs they need to get filled. They're seeking yeah. uh, folks to fill this. So uh, it, it's primarily uh, not surprising. I mean the it's manufacturing sector was hit hard in the in the recession. So uh, the Wichita area got uh, got got the, the a big impact on that, and then all of the counties that surround Wichita that provide you know have the machine shops that provide parts for uh, for uh, aviation industry and things like that. That's that's where you get you you saw the, the. Let's talk about aviation for a minute because I've been a little harsh. Maybe it's because I don't understand the situation that well. Beechcraft. Uh, to me, you know, looking at Beechcraft from the outside in, we've got to be looking at. Few thousand idiots uh, working in Wichita. They're about to lose their jobs. And I'm talking about the fact that Governor Parkinson, to give him credit, apparently worked out a deal because folks, we were about to lose Beechcraft. They were about to go to Louisiana. And this was going to cost Wichita with all the cottage industries that feed into Beechcraft. Probably five or six thousand jobs were going to leave Wichita. Well, Governor Parkinson, to give him credit, basically put uh, the brakes on this, at least temporarily, to give the employees of Beechcraft a chance to work out uh, some union negotiations. Well, the machinists working for Beechcraft were making $27 an hour. The management of Beechcraft said, if we are going to survive as a plan, if we're going to stay here, you're going to have to take a 10% reduction in pay, plus you're going to have to pay a larger portion of your health insurance. The union employees in Wichita said no, voted the contract down. So they were going to go from $27 an hour to $24 an hour. Now they're about to go and become wards of Jim Gardner's Department of Labor, drawing a $425 a week paycheck. Now it looks like Beechcraft could be going to Baton Rouge. Everything the governor has done and has done correctly, it's possibly all going out the window. Why should we care, sitting in Topeka, Kansas, what happens to Beechcraft? Because of tax revenue, one. Uh, for the Wichita community, for Kansas as well, this is going to be a huge loss for the state of Kansas. Based on what I think I know, Secretary Gardner, I am livid with the organized labor movement in Wichita. How could they be so stupid and irresponsible? Now, Correct me where I'm wrong. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, <laughs> you're sitting in the catbird seat. You know the inside well, no, of the no, story. No, 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 I don't know the inside <laughs> of this story. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I am not down there. I don't know what uh, what the whole ins and outs of, of all the negotiations are. Now, have you been um, called in on no, any of the no, negotiations? No, no, no. I'm not in. I, I don't know what the details are, are laid off. So I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going in there. I'm not going to. I'm not going to try to. Second guess uh, what has happened or hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, uh, the we're not the story's not over yet. I, I hope that uh, uh, things can continue. Uh, I, I hope that uh, they'll get back together and get talks going to get this worked out because I think there's a great opportunity there for uh, for the company and for the employees to uh, keep that uh, industry there. As you mentioned, the governor stepped in and I think put together a, a, a nice opportunity uh, for uh, for this to, to remain in Kansas and uh, I, I think we just need to everybody needs to step back and 
let's let's see let's see how this plays out. So uh, uh, I hope that it's not done. I hope that uh, I hope uh, you're right. I hope that we get back to the negotiations continue and and uh, things can move forward there. Uh, the economic impact of Kansas, oh, it, it, this would I mean, be huge. Uh, huge. Aviation is is critical. I mean, uh, we. Uh, we have, over the past few years, uh, we've done a lot of work and a lot of successful work at diversifying our economy in Kansas uh, with, with expansion into the bioscience uh, arena, which is going to be big. I mean, the, 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 the uh, uh, laboratory that's being built at Kansas State is going to be uh, doing some great stuff to expand the animal science research in this state. Uh, the, the efforts at KU to do... Uh, uh, the Cancer uh, Research Institute, phenomenal type of spin-off companies that come out come out of that type of research. So they're, they're dedicating the, the School of Pharmacy uh, today at KU. I think there's been 17 new spin-off companies that have come out of the KU School of Pharmacy really? in recent time. Yeah, they develop these. Uh, uh, KU has has. Uh, uh, well, I'll get back to aviation in just a minute. But uh, uh, KU has has. Uh, uh, I can't remember the statistic right now, but of the uh, uh, recent past, the, the number of new cancer treatment drugs that have been approved uh, by the uh, uh, National Institute of Health, uh, there's five or six of those have come from the University of Kansas. Big, major developments. Uh, and those end up being, then companies go off of that to, to develop these, these uh, new treatment drugs. And uh, it's, I, 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 we can't, uh, you can't discount that. Uh, so, so uh, those are some things. I mean, we're trying to diversify. Wind energy is another one that we're seeing lots of development in, and alternative energy with the the, the Siemens plant coming into to Hutchinson. That's going to bring uh, four or five hundred jobs there uh, in the area of, of uh, wind energy. Uh, so we're trying to diversify, uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, so that we're not just only wholly dependent on aviation. But that being the case, that advanced manufacturing in Wichita. And that aviation is is critical. So uh, we need to uh, uh, we need to be protective of that aviation industry and, and uh, encouraging it to, to remain in, in, in Kansas. Um, so so uh, the impact on on uh, I mean it, it's important to the state because it's not just a Wichita-based industry. Uh, it provides lots of uh, jobs for the state in, in, as a whole because there's all these uh, uh, feeder industries, but it also provides a lot of revenue for the state. Income tax, uh, sales Bingo. tax, things like yeah. that makes a big uh, a big impact on on. Uh, so on what happens in Wichita definitely it impacts, impacts the rest of the state. It impacts and, and the rest I mean, of the state. I mean, you mentioned Beach, but uh, earlier there was the uh, the deal with uh, Bombardier that uh, mm -hmm. uh, major uh, uh, success there. In uh, uh, they have a new line. Uh, they're making a new line of aircraft. Uh, uh, their uh, Learjet 85. Uh, they they were looking across the country of where they were going to put that production line. Yep. Uh, they have um, they decided uh, to, to put it in the, in the Wichita area uh, uh, through uh, some negotiations. Again, the governor was involved in, in uh, getting them to uh, make that commitment. And uh, uh, that's keeping thousands of jobs in, in Wichita and bringing more in. So that, that's... Uh, it, we yeah, the news is, you're right, it's not all bad coming out of Wichita, but I just hope, you know, organized labor leaders get their heads on straight, and the rank and file uh, employees, because they're the ones ultimately that had this vote, and I, they can't be thinking clearly, because there's no doubt about the fact if this contract isn't settled, Beechcraft's gone.
I think we're all in agreement with that. They're gone. They're headed to Baton Rouge if this thing isn't straightened out. I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not willing to make that concession. <laughs> I just hope we get this thing squared away because this is a this is a biggie. Now, Jim Gardner, everything's coming up roses as far as Kansas is concerned. Looking through your crystal ball, well, I, I, we're trending downward as far as unemployment claims. I, I don't want to be Pollyannish and say everything's coming up roses. No, I mean we have, uh, but but things are much better than where we were <clears throat> setting a year ago at this time. Uh, I think we've we've gotten through the worst of of, of this recession, and, and we have we've plateaued, we've bottomed out of of uh, we're, I mean I was getting so tired of every month the the job releases that we the numbers we did every month was another drop, another decrease, another decrease. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've now had three months of where our reports have shown over the year increases in in numbers. So we're, we're they're not big, they're not huge, but they're moving the right direction. That all being said, we have we have a long ways to go to get back to that level of employment and uh, that we enjoyed uh, prior to the recession. So we got a lot of work ahead of us, and we need to create a lot of jobs. But uh, but we are finally now moving in 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 the right direction. Well, that is that's good news. And Jim, you serve at the pleasure of the governor. Uh, it appears right now, based on polling, there's going to be a changing of the guard in November. And, uh, well, regardless, there's going to be a new governor. There's going to be a new governor, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, possibly a change. It, it appears now we're going to have a change of party affiliations uh, sitting in the governor's chair, unless something dramatic happens with uh, Senator Holland's campaign. It looks like Senator Brownback is going to be our new governor. I'm, I'm not ready to call the uh, call the election. Yet, so uh, <laughs> I think I'll let the the voters uh, vote, and then we'll uh, we'll see where we are. <laughs> but folks, when this happens. Um, the governor, when they make their appointees for cabinet positions, they try to pick uh, the best of the best in their parties to fill these positions, and that's a compliment I, to you. I'll take that. that uh, I'll take that well, uh, assessment. Well, you <laughs> should. You should because you know you pick the cream of the crop when you're filling cabinet positions. But this is a partisan appointment. So if uh, Senator Brownbeck is successful, and if he wins November the second, what's in Secretary Jim Gardner's future? Where are I'll, you I'll, I'll be looking for work. Uh, <laughs> No, what, what, what you said is absolutely for? right. I mean, that's the way. That's the way our government. It's, that's the way. That's it, just it, politics. It, it's, it's the way it is. And yeah. uh, I accepted that, knowing that going in. And, and yeah. uh, when there's a new governor, the governor wants to put people around him or her that uh, that they can that they know and they work with. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Uh, what what is uh, uh, Jim? Quite quite honestly, I don't know. I don't know what uh, I have. Uh, I have uh, gone through my. Uh, professional career I've kind of stumbled through and there's always an opportunity uh, uh, seems to appear uh, when uh, when I'm looking for to do something else and I just need to be well. cognizant and aware when that happens uh, I have I mean I, I've um, I've applied for um, uh, the Court of Appeals position um, we'll see what happens there you know so uh, what would you be doing uh, for the Court of Appeals well, a judge on, on the court okay I didn't know that Okay, I will. So, I mean, that's that's uh, one option I'm, l- I'm looking at, but uh, that's well, not you know, there's, a, there's a review panel that, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, reviews those and decides uh, who they're going to put forward. Well, based on your abilities, I'm sure you're going to land on your feet, and uh, we just want to wish you the best. Thank and, you. Uh, and if things work out, if I'm a, Senator hey, I'm Holland a, wins, then you might be around for another eight years. Uh, how, how's the radio business? Uh, I could get into that, huh? 
Radio business is okay. You know, internet radio is so much different than traditional radio. You're kind of on the uh, on the on the cutting edge here. I mean, this is a new uh, a new it area. Is, you know, as far as the technology. Yeah. You know, once you can uh, once internet radio years from now, it's going to be oh yeah, that's altogether it, different. It, 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 yeah. Internet radio is going to be like uh, uh-huh. AM radio. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, you can't. Yeah, you can through a BlackBerry, what have you. There's ways to do it, but traditionally, there's no way to make internet radio mobile for the masses right now. And once that happens, internet radio is going to take off uh, yep. like a shot, no yep. doubt about it. Yep. So, we're just kind of laying the groundwork for some future host to come in here and take over the show. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, my friend, I just want to wish you the best, and uh, it's been a pleasure working with you over right. the years, and. Uh, I want to wish you the best. I hope everything works out well for you, and I'm I'm sure it will. Thanks, thanks a lot. Okay, Lillian Singfield on deck. Are you an opera fan? I I I'm I not. I, I really I, I haven't had that uh, exposure. Yeah. So, uh, well, this is a Topeka gal that's made good. She's now world known as an opera singer, coming back to town, and uh, she's going to be joining me by phone. She graduated from Topeka West with my daughter years ago, so we're going to have her joining us by phone. She's coming back to Topeka Sunday. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Last time I was at an opera was when I was in grade school, I think. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's been a while. Uh, (laughs) That's good that those uh, people go off and do well, and then they want to come back. uh, We've had our successes in Topeka. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Okay, folks, uh, stay tuned. More to come. I'm Jim Cates. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers 
first top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, L.A. Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Freudenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, folks, we're back. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Okay, folks, my apologies. Uh, I know that for those of you that are regular listeners of the show, this has to be very, 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 very frustrating. To you, it's certainly frustrating to me. Uh, we appear to be unable to get our guest on the show. Lillian Singpeel. She was scheduled to be with us this morning. It certainly isn't her fault. And for some reason, we just are unable to catch her voice. But for those of you that uh, knew Lillian when she lived in Topeka, she's a former uh, Topeka West uh, student, Topeka West High graduate, KU grad, and has certainly gone on to bigger and better things, is that she now is known throughout the world as one of our leading opera singers in the world. Well, she's coming back to Topeka. And she's going to be performing at the Topeka Public Library, and that's going to be Sunday afternoon at 2.30. If you want more information on Lillian Singpeel's uh, performance at the Topeka Public Library, if you remember Lillian when uh, she lived in Topeka, she still has very, very deep roots in this community. Well, you can certainly catch her at the Topeka Public Library Sunday. Or for those of you that are opera aficionados, uh, you want to make sure that you take this performance in. Because this is a case of a local Topekan that has made good. So, Lillian Singpeel is her name, and she graduated the same year as my daughter did. And my daughter, I know, is in contact with uh, Lillian. And in fact, my daughter is the one that suggested that I get Lillian on the show. Sorry that it doesn't, didn't work out because we are having equipment difficulties. I just spoke to Lillian off the air and let her know that we were experiencing some difficulties with our equipment. So it certainly isn't a case of Lillian uh, not attempting to make the appearance. It's just a, uh, simply a case that we're having equipment challenges. But Lillian Springfield, so please take uh, this performance in Sunday afternoon. To catch Hi, I'm actually here, Jim. Okay, now we've got you. We just did some minor adjustments. All right, Lillian, good to have you with us. Good to be here. Hi, how are you? We're uh, frustrated. <laughs> We've had some challenges over the past uh, couple of weeks with wow. our equipment, and uh, I think we've got everything pretty much under control. So I was just giving our listeners a rundown on who you are and your accomplishments, and my gosh, there are many. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've done very, very well since leaving Topeka. Well, I'm glad to be back for only a short time, um, just, just a few days here, uh, but I always enjoy coming home, and I'm excited to sing and see a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time and work with my 
old friend and pianist, uh, Mark Farrell. Actually, we're meeting today in a few, oh, about a half an hour here to start rehearsing, so it should be really fun. Lillian, you've been performing opera professionally for how many years now? Oh, gosh, uh, pretty much since uh, after uh, grad school, so uh, over a decade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting up there. <laughs> I won't say exactly how many years since my daughter graduated uh, the same year you did, and I don't think my daughter wants her age given out over the phone, so <laughs> we'll, just <laughs> we'll stay yeah. away from that one. So you've been performing over a decade as an opera singer. You know, when I think of opera, A, I don't think of L.A., I think of New York City. You live in L.A. I do. I, I moved to New York, um, uh, and I was there for at least eight, nine years. I went to Manhattan School of Music and started my professional career at New York City Opera and lived in New York for quite a while and still travel back there as much as I can. But, but I do live in the West Coast, and, and I actually sing a lot of different kinds of music as well as opera now, uh, soundtracks and just musical theater, jazz, all different kinds of music. But I, I do, I do like opera a lot. Yes, so. uh, you know, in your bio, I was reading that uh, you're doing a lot of soundtrack work. But Lillian Singh Peel, let's talk about who's sitting in the chair. You know, when you're performing as an opera singer. You know, when I think of opera, I'm thinking money. You know, I, I don't think opera singers really touch into that high school dropout uh, demographic, do they? As far as people that are attending an opera performance? Oh, uh, you say the audience? Yeah, the audience, uh, yeah. Sorry, I couldn't hear you very well there. Um, you know, I think that that's a good point you're making, uh, especially in this economy, uh, in, in this country, in America. It's certainly not the first priority um, in people's minds to get up and go to the opera, but for sure in Los Angeles Opera we have um, uh, education in the schools program, and in New York City Opera, they have one as well. We were trying to get involved with, you know, kids and make it a little bit more common man, you know, something that people can relate to and not as, you know, not as difficult to get a ticket. I know some of the tickets can be very expensive, but they they have all these different programs. Well, you know, if uh, I was single, though, Lillian Singpeel, if I was single, and if I wanted to meet girls, I would go to an opera performance because I would assume that uh, female <laughs> sitting in the seat attending an opera probably really was going to have money. <laughs> be a great place to meet girls. Well, it? then maybe we should start a, a, a dating service together. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I don't really see it that way. I. I, I think that it, it's kind of a special event for a lot of people that go. Yes, but you also see. All different kinds of people going, and I mean, you can get tickets at the last minute for you know standing in line for twenty dollars. You can get tickets for one hundred and eighty dollars. It it just depends on what kind of music you you like. Mainly, uh, it just needs to be real when you see it, and not just some you know over the over the top experience that's not real real acting. And that's you know as long as it's a real experience, something a drama that we can relate to. I think people real, really enjoy going. Now, Lillian, I know you're you're known throughout the country, throughout the world, as one of our leading opera singers, and being from Topeka, you know, this is a feather in Topeka's hat, but is opera pretty much regionalized? In other words, again, you know, I've, I've got this perception of opera is going to be big back in New England, it's going to be huge back in New York City, and could an opera singer find Butte, Montana on a map? I, I just don't picture, you know, Butte, the Butte, Montana's, the Des Moines, Iowa's. Mm -hmm. as being a hotbed for opera singers. Am I wrong? 
<laughs> well, again, we go back to, you know, what the audience wants to hear and, and what the community wants to hear and what they're interested in. And I've sung in, in little communities all throughout Europe that are tiny little cities and in America that support the arts, that support all different kinds of music, that have some funding for it. And, you know, a lot of times an opera singer doesn't get um, much pay in these communities to go and do an opera, but they really want it. They want to perform. The, you know, we all do it for the love of music, and depends on the role that we want to sing. And uh, you need to sing a role a lot of times, a few times, to get it into your body and under your belt. And you'd be surprised some of the communities that really embrace that and, and give young singers uh, a safety arena. <laughs> if you will, to, to feel like they can sing something for the first time. And, you know, so it's not in front of a big crowd at New York City Opera or the Met. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of communities in, in, all throughout the country, I think, that support opera in this country. Okay, Lillian Singpeel is my guest, and Pam Wallstrom is going to be joining us in a few minutes. We're going to be talking about the Capra Foundation. But Lillian, you know, like so many uh, issues I get into on the show, this is one that I know very little, if anything, about, which is nothing unusual for me to be tackling <laughs> a topic that I have no knowledge of. But, you know, going back to the history of opera, again, I think Italy. Is this where opera originated? It came out of Italy and just worked its way through Europe into the United States? Well, certainly Italy is one of the, one of the originating countries, and, and if you go back in time and look through the history of the old Italian singers, they were, you know, they were all northern Italian and Greek and all through, you know, the ancient time. But in, anymore, it's really interesting as you travel through it, through the world that a lot of American singers are uh, very prepared and very well respected and have, have had the training uh, in this country where, you know, you think, oh, it's the best place to go is Italy. The best place to go is Germany. Well, it's just not the case anymore. And so that's kind of neat. The, the instruction and faculty through, you know, the major conservatories in America are really fine and are carrying on a long tradition as well. So, and as actually bridging into teaching as well, I've, I've started teaching in the last couple of years a little bit, and so I appreciate all the training that I've had at, you know, at the University of Kansas and at Manhattan School and throughout all the conservatories that I've kind of gone in and worked over the summers and things, the Young Artist Program. So well, that's a good thing. Well, Lillian Singfield, we were talking last night. We were with a group of friends, and uh, they knew you were coming on the show today, and we were talking about opera, and uh, my friends are all beer drinkers. Uh, not <laughs> <laughs> what you would consider your typical opera fans. <laughs> uh, but a couple of them, you know, we're getting ready to go to Vegas next uh -huh. weekend. And we were talking, you know, because, again, all of our perceptions were the same as pertained to uh, fans and opera aficionados, people with money. And, you know, just thinking outside of the box, why haven't we seen a Vegas casino come in with a opera lounge act? Because, again, you're attracting that demographic that's got lots of money. That's who Las Vegas wants on the plane coming into Vegas. Why not opera in Las Vegas? Because That's you would a good a question, actually. I, I mean, they have a lot of different musical theater productions. Phantom of the Opera was just, I mean, a, girl, a girlfriend of mine was just singing there for the last six months, singing Christine and Phantom, 
which is, you know, it, although it's, it's not really opera, it's more operetta musical theater, that's certainly been a big hit there in Vegas. Um, I think it just, it's, it's just everyone's perception that is so hoity-toity that you won't be able to relate to it, that it's a bunch of people standing there that, you know, can't act, that are just singing. It's really not like that anymore. It, it's, it's more down to earth. Uh, the subjects are everyday, you know, subjects in life that we all can relate to, and it's a lot more accessible. It's just, it's just, I think it's a little bit of a hidden secret, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, certainly uh, the director, Boz Earlman, who did the La Boheme um, on Broadway, uh, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, and, and, and also the film Romeo and Juliet, and... Um, and rent all those things. You know, he he's made a very, I think, fine attempt of of uh, showing an opera as everyday life with great actors. You know, attractive, really interesting people, and bring it to the people. And the tickets are just typical tickets. You know, people will spend fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty dollars on the slot machines. <laughs> you know, or bingo, bingo. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It makes or, sense to me. You know, this could work. Lillian, we really might have hit on something here. Hey, I know you've got to run. I know you. Well, got we got to get that time. dating service up and running. On <laughs> I think I think that's going to be our what jackpot. A great place to meet girls. I would agree. <laughs> Lillian, I know you're heavily involved in soundtracks. Now, are you writing the soundtracks, performing uh, any of these your original compositions? Are you going to be the next female uh, Barry Manilow counterpart? Oh, uh, it's, in, it's interesting you ask me that. I'm working with a composer that is a Kansas. Um, a Kansas native named Seth Osborne, who is from Baldwin and a brilliant, brilliant composer and pianist, and he lives in Los Angeles. And we just actually, I mean, we finished uh, a recital together and are making a, a recording, uh, an album uh, when I get back to Los Angeles. And a lot of his, uh, a lot of his original pieces have been featured on sound soundtracks and things like that, but as far as the writing goes, I, that is something that I've always wanted to do, uh-huh. and I haven't done, and who knows what it will, you know, come for me in the future, but right now I just really enjoy performing uh, new works and masterpieces of, of living composers right now that, you know, in the community, I, I really support that. Well, Lillian, I appreciate you coming on the show, and folks, again, I know many of you know Lillian Singpeel. Uh, from her days in Topeka, her roots are still very, very deep in this community. She's going to be performing Sunday afternoon, 2.30 at the Topeka Public Library. So, folks, if you want any more information, you can contact the library. Best of luck to you. Lillian, when you're back in town, uh, please give me a call anytime. We'd love to have you back on the show where we can spend more time together. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I, uh, I look forward to Sunday, and I hope everyone can come. I hope so. Okay. Well, maybe we'll, so maybe we'll have some slot machines on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful idea. <laughs> Best All of right. luck to you. Take care. Lillian Singpeel. Okay, joining us uh, for a few minutes, Pam Wallstrom. Uh, Earl Glenn just walked in. We're going to be talking about the top stories of the week in a few minutes. Good morning, Pam Wallstrom. Good morning, Jim Cage. Let me get you turned up. Let's try that now. Good morning, Jim. Let's try it one more time. Pull your mic in just a little bit. Now try it. Good morning, Jim. Let's grab another mic. <laughs> uh, Pam, we've had Lee Hartman just walked in as well. Lee's going to be joining us. And Lee, I don't know whether you know Earl Glenn or not. Uh, KansasWatchdog.org. 
and the Metro Voice, both of which are going to be represented today. And we're experiencing equipment challenges. Again, we've had, it's been a very frustrating week and a half. <laughs> but hopefully we're getting everything worked out. You were on mic number four. Okay. We'll throw that one in the trash. Okay, good morning, Pam. Good morning, Jim. Better. Now we can hear you. Pull your mic in a little closer. All right. With the Capper Foundation, you've been with the Capper Foundation. Arthur Capper was in the Senate when you started out? Or? Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been there for a long time. Almost 15 years. Yes, you have. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. You've got a big fundraiser coming up tomorrow. We do. Thanks to our very generous friends and supporters, Merlin and Teresa Strom, who once again are putting on another garage sale for the Capper Foundation with all proceeds coming to us. And it's a very unique uh, concept that they started last summer. They put out all of these wonderful, uh, what do I say, treasures, but they don't put a price on them. You come, you pick up the items you want, you leave a donation, and that goes to benefit the children and families we serve. Okay, and that's tomorrow. Uh, the garage sale starts when? Pull that mic in just as close as you can get it. That, that's another piece of equipment that's... Not working quite as it should. Okay. Uh, the sale starts at what time tomorrow? 9 o'clock from 9, 9 to 4.30. 9 to 4.30. Okay. And again, uh, folks, just come in and make an offer. It makes no difference. It's kind of a free will offering garage sale. It truly is. Because uh, whatever you're purchasing, the money, all the proceeds go to the Capra Foundation, Easter Seals. And I know Merlin and Teresa, when they had the garage sale uh, at their home at 22nd and Bell, they're a huge success, huge success. So It was indeed, and it will be again tomorrow. Yeah. And, folks, if you have items that you would like to bring to the Capra Foundation to add to the garage sale, I guess you can do that all day today? Actually, they're going to be there from 11 to 3 to take any items that people have that also want to uh, help us help the kids. Okay. Whatever your items are, folks, if uh, they have a little value attached to them, uh, so much the better. But just bring your items to the Capra Foundation Easter Seals between 11 and 3. They'll be added to the garage sale pile tomorrow, and this is going to be a biggie. And if you're a garage sale aficionado, I am. I'm always on the hustle for records. And uh, this is one you've got to attend because this is going to be big. Now, Pam Ostrom, if you would, let's give a real abbreviated uh, summary of what the Capra Foundation is all about. Well, our mission is to enhance the independence of people with disabilities, primarily children and their families, and we do that um, a variety of ways. Largely, our core services are pediatric, occupational, physical, and speech therapy. We also provide a lot of professional and family training for those who live and love these children. Um, we have our KidLink Child Care and Preschool Program, which is very unique. It's for children with and without disabilities, two and a half years of age to six. Those typically uh, developing children motivate their disabled peers to do things they wouldn't otherwise do in a segregated environment. So comprehensive services, right now we're seeing many, many, many children with autism. And of course, no two children on the autism spectrum look alike, but needing early intervention to help them be all they can be. All right. And folks, if you want more information on the Capra Foundation, 272-4060. That's it. Okay, 3500 Southwest 10th. Uh, anytime a group wants to come by, you'd be delighted to give a group a tour. 
of all the good things you do at the Kaffir Foundation. Absolutely. And uh, folks, tomorrow, if uh, you have a chance, this garage sale is actually going to be at the Kaffir Foundation, 10th and New Orleans, uh, half a dozen blocks east of Gage, 3500 West 10th. And again, the time for the garage sale? 9 to 4.30. 9 to 4.30. And uh, folks, you got to check this one out because you're going to... There's going to be a little bit of everything there. There is. Yeah. <laughs> I think we donated 500 books if you're a reader. In fact, a lot of the books that we donated, folks, these are books of uh, former guests that have been on the show. So if you had a particular guest that has authored a book, if you enjoyed the book, possibly uh, that book's going to be at the Capper Foundation tomorrow for sale. So check it out. Absolutely. Pam, we appreciate you coming by, my dear. Thank and, you uh, so much, Jim, for having us. Pam Wallstrom, Capper Foundation. Check it out tomorrow. We've got uh, Lee Hartman. We've got Earl Glenn on deck to talk about the top Jackson's stories. Greenhouse, your planet shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design. We listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer, too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top of the line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhouse, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Foss line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. 
Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email Jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, we need to work in a couple of spots uh, for some friends of mine. One's the downtown antique and collectibles mall. We were just talking about garage sales. And again, there's going to be electrical supplies, plumbing supplies, everything at uh, the Capra Foundation's garage sale. Tomorrow morning you want to check it out. But folks, if you're thinking about having a garage sale, maybe you don't have quite that many items. Um, to really have a good sale, but you've got a few items that are actually worth $25, $50 maybe, if you're lucky, and if you could sell them at a garage sale, well, let me make your day a little bit easier. Because you can take these items to the Downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall at 5th and Harrison. It sits just one block east of Topeka Boulevard. And folks, they're open seven days a week. What they'll do, they'll take your unwanted items. They'll place them in their store on consignment. When your item sells, they send you a check. So this is the lazy man's way, or lazy person's way of having a garage sale. Let them do the work. All you've got to do is just wait for the mailman to come. And if you're looking for antiques, if you're looking for garage sale items, whatever it may be, three floors of antiques and collectibles and garage sale items at 5th and Harrison, downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall. Uh, they're open at 11 o'clock, seven days a week. Lee Hartman, have you been to the downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall? I've been there, not recently, but... Yeah. A little bit of everything in there. Yeah. I mean, you name it, they've got it. Just a uh, good, uh, good supply of antique furniture now. Bell collections, knife collections, you know. If you're collecting something, you can probably find find it. Yeah, you downtown could, antique you could probably find festival. something you didn't know you needed. Absolutely, which I do often when I'm out garage selling. <laughs> hey, this hour is also brought to you folks by the Golden Corral. And they are now into their holiday fair. They're open seven days a week for lunch and dinner. And uh, last month they were offering shrimp. All you can eat prepared ten different ways. But now they're getting into the holiday fair as well. So they've added ham. They've added turkey, you know, and the dressing and the cranberry sauce, the whole nine yards to the menu. And again, we're talking for around $10 for an evening meal, folks. All you can eat. It doesn't get any better than that. They still have sirloin steak as part of their regular fare to where you can just chow down on as much sirloin steak as you want to eat for less than $10. Not bad. And that's at 16th and Wanamaker. And once again, the Golden Crow was named as one of the best buffets you are going to find anywhere in northeast Kansas as a result of the, your votes in the most recent Best of Topeka contest. Now, a formal welcome again to Earl Glenn. Good morning, Jim. Good to have you back with us. It's always fun Talk to have you there. with us. And can you, you represent? Hear me? I I can hear you. Yeah, we're getting sound out of sound that. in my ears isn't what it usually is, but that's okay. Okay, now you're on which mic? That's, that's number two. I don't have my glasses on. It says four. four. All right, now four. All right, you want it to go up? There we go. That's a little better. better. Yeah. All right. I can now. hear myself. KansasWatchdog.org. Yep. Folks, uh, you've got to check it out. And you can subscribe to KansasWatchdog.org. doesn't cost you one thin dime to do so. We're online and free. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I am a subscriber. I love the price. And I love the quality of reporting, too. Thank you. Good morning, Lee Hartman. Morning. Lee, it's been quite a while since you've been with us. It has. You are the editor and publisher of the Metro Voice, a paper that's been around now for five years. That's right. Right. And, uh, in fact, reading it uh, this week, you've got one of the former reporters that used to work for the Metro News with you now, yes. Peggy Mooney. That's right. And Peggy's son that used to have a sports column in the old Metro News is now selling ads. 
for the Metro Voice. And he also uh, writes his Cheap Seats sports column for us. That was a good column. Yeah. Earl, uh, Lee, I'm going to have you pull that mic in just as close as you can get it. Uh, that maybe is just not, not a very good one. Okay, there's a little bit of everything, folks, in the Metro Voice. It's, uh, again, another publication here in Topeka. comes out on a monthly basis. And it's local news and events uh, with several national columnists as well. Chuck Colson, I know, has a column in the Metro Voice. Right. And uh, we all remember the story about Chuck Colson, and you've got several other nationally known uh, columnists. But it basically is the news with a Christian twist. Yeah, from we, a Christian viewpoint. It's a little bit more of a, a Judeo-Christian viewpoint to the news, yes. Uh, we kind of look at it as, as what a community newspaper used to be maybe back in the early days of the country mm -hmm. uh, before everything got so secular and separated uh, for, uh, faith from everything else. So we do tr like to have a mix of, of local news and events with the regional and, and national stories as well. And I know you, you somewhat cover the political scene right? upon occasion. Uh, your October issues out, so there was no formal endorsements in the Metro Voice. Right. We don't normally endorse candidates. Okay. Well, we'll be talking about that today. We'll be getting Lee Hartman's opinion, not the Metro Voice's opinion, right. on several races. But an issue that uh, possibly I've got a good idea, I think, where the Metro Voice and probably where KansasWatchdog.org would come down on this editorially. We're talking about an issue that's going to be on the California ballot. And this is the legalization of marijuana. I'll tell you, California has one thing that we don't have in Kansas, and I wish we did. And that is the power of initiative to where the voters can go out and petition, circulate a petition to have something placed on the ballot. Well, that's how this issue got placed on the California ballot, was a group of citizens went out and garnered enough signatures to have the issue on whether we should legalize marijuana placed on the ballot. Now, again, I'm a huge fan of... The power of initiative. Well, let's get into Missouri initiative first. Too. Missouri has that too. Yes. In fact, roughly 25 states do have it. Roughly 25 states don't. And uh, no legislative body over the past 60 years has given the power of initiative to the voters. The states that had initiative 60 years ago hasn't changed one iota. Not very many legislators want to give that power back to the voters. And such a shame. This was an issue that was hotly debated back when I was in the legislature. Joan Fenney, and Joan and I got to be, um, well, we were on the same page on several issues, term limits and especially the power of initiative. And that's the last time anybody has made a serious run trying to return the power to the voters. So, I, I How do you feel about it? Let's start uh, off with you, Earl Glenn. The issue of initiative, how do you feel about it? Well, well having been from Kansas my whole life, I really didn't know much about it, but I got assigned uh, to go to uh, Jeff City on May 2nd this year when the initiatives were due in Jeff City, so my job was to report on those. And so it's real curious how Missouri, if there's a statute you don't like, if there's a part of the Constitution you don't like, you can have an initiative focused on that particular law or that particular part of the Constitution. The only difference is the number of signatures you have to get to get it on the ballot. And so Missouri has at least three initiatives on, on the ballot this year. One of them has to do with this. Well, we won't go into that, but it's just real interesting that if the citizens feel strongly enough about some law, they can take matters into their own hands regardless of how they, the legislators, legislators feel about the matter. Okay, as a reporter, any reason not to go? I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a great idea. Lee Hartman, how about you? Well, how do you feel about the power of initiative? Anytime you can put more 
power in the hands of the people, I think it's a good thing. You know, you can come up with uh, something maybe not so family-friendly like the marijuana thing, but you can also come up with, with some good proposals that you wouldn't get from the state legislature otherwise. So in the end, it's still in the hands of the people whether they, whether they uh, voted in or not. So, yeah, anytime you can get more power in the hands of the, the people, it's good. And like you said, the legislatures, they don't want to give up any power. Nobody, wants to, nobody wants to give up power. So. Well, as interesting as could be, when we really took a long, hard look at this back when uh, Governor Finney was our governor, because she was, uh, this was one of the keystones of her campaign when she ran for governor, was if elected, I'm going to do everything in my power to return the power to the voters, and that being initiative. Well, she was unsuccessful. But. The idea was a good one. But if you really take a look at the issue of initiative, we've got, I say, 25 states. That's a rough count, folks. It's roughly 50-50. But you'll find everything known to man as far as the way that states deal with the power of initiative. In other words, California, I don't think they have limited the number of issues that can be placed on the ballot. I don't think they've ever done that. No, no, right. Unlimited. Um, so California, you might have a dozen or so more issues on the ballot in California, which kind of clogs up the whole process. Uh, a lot can be lost uh, as far as what California has done with the power of initiative. At the other end of the spectrum, you have the state of Nevada. And the way that the state of Nevada handles initiative is that if you get garner enough signatures from the voters in Nevada and issues placed on the ballot, if the voters approve that issue, Whatever the issue is, that issue will go back on the ballot two years later. If the voters approve it for the second time, then it becomes law. So well, they really have some real safeguards. It's a pretty difficult process, then. Very difficult process, but again, some checks and balances built into the system to where you get away from the emotionalism of a vote. You really get down to how is this going to impact our state, to where you get more of a logical thought process, possibly. If you're voting on it, for two successive elections. Well, the whole probably have really thought this thing through logically. Yeah. The emotionalism pretty much is gone. That's a good idea. Yeah, I thought so too. And uh, Kansas, when we um, proposed our initiative law, you had to have, I think, 3% of uh, signatures from the electorate from each one of our four congressional districts. So you couldn't go to Johnson County and work for a weekend on getting enough signatures to place an issue on the ballot. You also had to go out to western Kansas. You also had to go to the Wichita area. You also had to come into Topeka to make sure that all four uh, regions of the state were going to be represented on an issue that's placed on the ballot. But Missouri right now, they require a majority of their congressional districts. So they have nine congressional districts, so they have to have a, a certain number of signatures from at least five of the congressional districts. Yeah, which is a responsible way to handle it. Now, does Missouri currently... Um, Limit the number of issues that can be placed on a ballot. It's just if you show up at the at Secretary of State's office in in, um, in Jeff City with the signatures on the designated date, it gets on the ballot. They have to verify the signatures, but um, there's no limit to the number of petitions that I'm aware of. Okay, I think the chances of getting initiative passed in Kansas again uh, is when pigs fly because we haven't had any movement on this issue whatsoever over the past 60 years. I can't remember the last date that actually returns some of the power back to the voters, but it goes back 60-plus years ago. So. There's, always a, there's always a next time or a first time. Um, I'm, I'm always optimistic because I know Chris Kobach has proposed this recently, and uh, 
given the, the current political climate with the tea parties and all of that, maybe people are more in a mood to do something like that. Mm -hmm. It's more receptive than other times you're saying. Yeah. You know, if we're going to be successful on, you know, returning this power to the voters, does the term initiative bother you? How many voters understand when you say, gee, we need to give Kansans the right of initiative? What would that mean to the rank-and-file voter? Anything? I, I don't Is think there any understanding of what initiative would mean to the average person walking down Kansas Avenue? Would they know what you were talking about? I don't think so, because I've lived in the Kansas City area now for a little over 20 years, and I've heard Missouri reports for 20 years, and I've heard the initiatives, but I just didn't pay attention to it because it didn't affect my life. So I just doubt that the average Kansan has even heard of it once you get outside the Kansas City area, so it's something that they need to be educated about, perhaps. Yeah, you know, the man and woman on the street, which Sean Hannity used to do years ago, you know, when six out of ten uh, Americans couldn't say, couldn't identify their vice president, it gives you pause. But if you were to go on Kansas Avenue on downtown Topeka today and just ask that person walking down the street, to basically, what does the power of initiative mean? How many voters could really define the term? One out of ten? Yeah, I'd, I'd say 90% wouldn't know what it was or whether we already had it or not. Yeah, yeah. But I think many would think it's a good idea once you explained it to them. Right. Once you explained it to them. But again, you know, if it's going to resonate with the voters, you have to come up with that catchphrase. Yeah. And with the word initiative, I'm not sure it's ever going to work. It's I too gotcha. complicated, Yeah. you know, to process the whole thing. Uh, so I don't know what we would come up with in place of initiative, you know, just that little catchphrase. It's going well, to well, capture maybe, the voters' attention. Maybe it takes a particular issue that needs to be on an initiative, and so you sell, use that issue to, to sell the whole process, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which Joan Finney attempted to use. Uh, that same, that yeah. seems like that might be the way to yeah. educate people. And for a short period of time, you know, we really had some interest in getting initiative passed in Kansas, but those days are gone. Uh, term limits, same thing. You know, that's the reason uh, we don't have term limits on the national level is because of initiative got in the way of that. And when I left the legislature many years ago, for four years I chaired a term limits movement. I was the Kansas chairman for a national term limits movement. Well, what happened, the Supreme Court, one of the few right things they've ever done over the past 50 years, but they made a correct decision on this. They struck down term limits on a federal level. And in this particular case, they had reason to do so, because what we had, again, Roughly 25 states with the power of initiative, to where the voters could actually get something on the ballot. 24 of those 25 states, the voters circulated a petition. Term limits became law in 24 of the 25 states that had the power of initiative. The remaining states, such as Kansas, that didn't have that power, term limits didn't pass anywhere. Not one state passed term limits, term limit legislation. No constitutional limiting, limit like we would have to do. Well, that's, that would be the ultimate solution. But there was no state whatsoever that passed uh, limit limiting uh, their members of Congress to term limits. So the Supreme Court basically said we're penalizing California, which did pass it, and favoring states like Kansas, which wasn't going to pass anything dealing with term limits and 25 states were being penalized in favor of the other 25 that weren't, you know, in terms of committee chairmanships, the whole nine yards. So the Supreme Court basically said term limits on the federal level, unconstitutional. Still have term limits on the state level, local level, what have you. So that's what happened to the term limits movement, but Earl Glenn, you're absolutely right. The only way we'll ever impose term limits 
on members of Congress is through a constitutional amendment. Yep. But again, it's going to be the same roadblocks. But we don't even yeah. have that in Kansas, mm. so it's, it, that's yet a, another concept the average guy on the street doesn't really deal with on a regular basis. Like in Missouri, I think their state legislators are term limited, but we mm. don't have that here. Yes, so. they are. Yep. And again, that goes back to Missouri being an initiative state where the voters said, yep. Sounds we like want to out of here in 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, a, that's another thing that puts more hands in the in the power of the average person because what you want to get away from is career politicians that continually stay there in the government and, and they keep now there's some good people that it'd be nice to keep but on the whole you want people to do their time and let somebody else go in yep well bingo and that's the reason I really got heavily involved in uh, the term limits movement because it was my last year in the legislature and uh Toward the tail end of the session, there were several of us standing around in the rotunda, Republicans and Democrats, so a dozen or so of us, and we were all discussing who was going to come back, who was going to run again for re-election, who wasn't. There was one Republican legislator and a Democrat as well. Both of them basically said the same thing. Both of them had eight years under the belt, and both of them said, you know, we're so sick of this place we could throw up. We don't want to come back here. We don't. All we want to see of Topeka is Topeka in our rearview mirror. But we've got to run one more time, because after we get 10 years of service, then we become vested on our pensions. Right. So I've heard that from other, other people running, too. Yeah, yeah. So another good reason for term limits. Another good reason to eliminate pensions for citizen legislative bodies. 49 of our 50 states offer a legislative pension to people right. serving in a... And, and, legislature. and while I'm not advocating pay increases for the legislators, they, they aren't paid all that much. So, Earl, uh, I couldn't I, agree with you more. You know, as far as a pay increase for our legislators, I would support that, provided they did away with legislative pensions. Yeah, something like because that. Because then you're sense. dangling that carrot out there for all the wrong reasons. You're having legislators hang around a lot longer than they want to right? in hopes of getting to that point where they're vested on a pension. It's just the wrong carrot, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they really wanted to do it right, take the money that we're spending for legislative pensions, take half of that money, give it to our legislators in the form of a pay increase, take the other half of the money, put it back in the general fund to lower our tax obligation, everybody wins. Yes. I'd be willing to pay them more money if they'd vote in term limits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> But these issues are issues that I don't think have been brought up in Topeka this year. Have they, Lee Hartman? Have you heard anybody in Topeka saying, gee, we need term limits, gee, we need to get rid of legislative pensions, gee, we need the power of initiative? Well, every now and then you hear people talk about term limits, but uh, most people don't know the background like you've just gone over today. So that's the value of, of listening to shows like this. You get some of the history in the background or if you watch, uh, like Glenn Beck on Fox News, he gives a lot of history of what's happened before. And it kind of keeps you from making the same mistakes over if you know what's what's gone on in the past. I agree. Johnson County? Any of these three issues oh, well, being discussed I, I, in Johnson I, I, County? I, I haven't heard of them at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. Speaking of Glenn Beck, <clears throat> the Lawrence Journal World. Now, Lawrence is somewhat of a liberal community. Somewhat? Beautiful town. I love the looks of Lawrence. Politically, it's a little to the left of where I'm at. One of their lead stories in the journal world was Glenn Beck versus John Stewart. John Stewart's leading in the popularity polls. Well, that's, and, uh, is that surprising in Douglas County, though? Uh, no, this was a national poll. Oh, actually. national, national. Yeah. 
I don't get John Stewart. You know, it's like he heard the F word the first time, and he's got to use it in every other sentence now, to where it's all bleeped out, obviously, on the comedy channel. It's an adjective noun verb, all, all of the But he drops that F-bomb. I mean, he can't go, can't complete a sentence anymore without dropping that F-bomb. I mean, it's like, I remember that, I think, in the third or fourth grade, when I heard the word for the first time. But it's like he just heard it, and now he's going to use it at every opportunity. And Somehow he knows that's what his audience maybe wants. I'm not sure. <sighs> and the the key word you just said was comedy channel. I mean, why would you compare a news commentator uh, or analyst like Glenn Beck with a comedy person? I mean, it's it's amazing to me that so many, especially young people, get their news. They think John Stewart is a news program. Scary. Yeah, really. <laughs> or even Saturday Night Live, I mean, <laughs> their, their little news segment. Lee Hartman, speaking of talk show host, now again, uh, you're the editor and publisher of the Metro Voice. Would be considered, even though you really don't get that heavy into politics as far as politically spinning a story, if you will, but you would be right of center. You're a conservative. True. Uh, who would be your favorite talk show host? Who do you really enjoy? If you had to pick one. And you were going to spend the next two hours listening to talk radio. Who would it be, and why? Well, the the ones that I've seen that are closest, as far as national news, are closest to being impartial would be on Fox News. But uh, truthfully, I I think that uh, Sean Hannity maybe goes too far to the right, and uh, uh, I like O'Reilly's show. He has a lot of back and forth banner. He has people on from the left and the right. There's good discussion on there. I think maybe he tries too hard sometimes to be fair and balanced, but uh, I like Glenn Beck. It's, it's a little different type of show, but he, what I really like about him is he really is sincere. Whether you agree with him or not, he's really sincere, and he really tries, and he goes back and studies history, and he, and he recommends books to read. You know, it's not just his word for everything, but he recommends books and other information so you can really get a background and and really form your own opinions based on on your on facts and what's on happened in the past. And he certainly brings Christianity into a lot of his arguments, which uh, the other talk show hosts are more secular than Glenn Beck. I think that would be fair. Be fair. How about you, Earl Glenn? John Stossel's a good guy. I kind of he has kind of a libertarian flair, but uh, he he. I guess he even self-described that he used to be more of a liberal, that he saw big government programs as being the solution, but then he went out as a reporter and found out that they weren't working, and so he's kind of changed his tune over the last 20 years. So John's, yeah. a, John's a real interesting guy. It kind of gives you hope for other people to see the change that he's made. Yeah, yes, indeed. Anybody carrying Lou Dobbs in the Kansas City market? Because, again, Earl Glenn, you cover Kansas stories, but you live in Johnson County. I have, I have, um, not, watched, uh, I have not watched Lou that much. I mean, I guess I just don't know. Well, he's got a nationally syndicated radio show on, of course, nobody in Topeka is carrying Lou Dobbs. Uh, not on radio that I'm aware yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Because I really enjoyed Lou Dobbs, of course. Some of the issues he was talking about a couple of years ago. The illegal immigration issue was one of the cornerstones of Lou Dobbs' TV show. Well, he was kind of a lone wolf on, on CNN at the time. So Yes, he was, yeah. I was surprised uh, to see CNN dump Lou Dobbs, other than they're trying to become the centrist uh, news organization, if you will. You've got MSNBC to the left, Fox to the right, and CNN with Lou Dobbs on, because Lou was more from a populist view, I think, than yeah. a right of center, I suppose, on several issues. But, but strong, strong opinions. 
And CNN appears to be getting somewhat away from that, I suppose. Well, I'm always supposed to be news and news and analysis. I'm not <coughs> supposed to dabble too much in opinions either, Jimmy. So. <laughs> well, you know, Anderson Cooper, I think, probably would be one of the more objective reporters on TV. I watch Anderson Cooper 360, depending on who Greta's got on on Fox. Greta's fairly, she's fair. CNN really needed Dobbs, though, to, to kind of balance out some of the more liberals that they have on there. So getting rid of him didn't really help him get more sympathy so to me. There's no uh, balance here, yeah, yeah. yeah, Larry King, I thought he was supposed to retire. <coughs> what, weren't they going to bounce him a couple of months ago? That's what I had heard. Yeah. That's scheduled, but I haven't watched him in a long time. Yeah. Well, let's get into uh, where this was headed. First, my gosh, we just went 25 minutes. We were going to talk about an issue that's on the California ballot. Lee Hartman and Earl Glenn are my guests. The Metro Voice and KansasWatchdog.org are represented today. The legalization of marijuana in California. Who wants to go first? Where should we go with this whole whole issue of drug legalization? Well, it's a it's a tricky balance because we libertarian and and everybody you know they want that personal freedom. They they don't want the government telling them what to do. On the other hand, it can cause family problems, social problems, so it, it's definitely a tricky balance that we've got to look at. I fear in California, isn't there a conflict between state and federal law? Didn't the federal people say they were so going to enforce federal laws even if California passed it? So that's kind of an interesting curiosity all by itself. Yes, it is. Well, you know, I don't want to judge people that have other needs that I don't have. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that say marijuana has medicinal value. People said that about alcohol, too, but... Uh, on the whole, you know, alcohol or marijuana. I mean, it's just not a family-friendly thing. And uh, it, if it's not good for the family, uh, why do we want why do we want to make it more available? Uh, and and the way they've made it available so far in this country is a sham. I mean, anybody can get it, although they say it takes a you know a doctor's prescription and all that. And it's it's just kind of a joke the way they've made it available so far. So there'd have to be a lot more strict enforcement of, of how it's available. Well, it appears in California we look more favorably on marijuana than we do cigarettes because the polling in California shows that 80% of Californians are want to ban smoking everywhere, just to get rid of smoke. But marijuana, don't you smoke marijuana? 44% yeah. of Californians want to legalize marijuana and want to do away with Winston's. I, I don't understand that. There's there's a big conflict there. The, those particulates that you inhale <laughs> gotta hurt you either way. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't get that at all. Well, we had Mike Dan's on the show on Monday. Mike Dan is running for the U.S. Senate, of course, as a libertarian and a pretty sharp individual. I've got a lot of respect for Mike Dan, but we got into quite a conversation on this whole legalization issue. And I think President Calderon and Mexico said it best. You know, the problem isn't a Mexican one. We've got 26,000 dead, dead Mexicans today, not because of the policies we have in Mexico, but because of the policies you have in the United States. You're a problem. The problem's not in Mexico. The problem's when you cross the border into the United States because you're buying this stuff. Too much consumption, right? You're buying the junk, yeah. And he had a good point. And I guess it gets into, <clears throat> I think, the height of hypocrisy on legalization of drugs or taking a look at the whole issue of drug consumption is decriminalization. Because the problem with decriminalization, if we legalize it, 
then you're going to have producers such as Liggett and Myers maybe getting into the manufacture, uh, the distribution of a legal product. But if you de decriminalize marijuana, and if you go out and buy a joint, that money ultimately is going to end up in some criminal's pocket. We're feeding the drug cartels by decriminalizing marijuana, or any drug for that matter. But it comes it's with so hypocritical. It comes with huge, huge social consequences, so I think that's where there's some, some reluctance to do that. But shouldn't we go with either A, let's really have a war on drugs, or B, let's legalize it? But C is the worst of all options, isn't it? When we're saying, no, we're going to decriminalize, we're going to look the other way. As you're <laughs> pouring money into <laughs> a drug cartel. Well, that you, bothers me. I mean, take a look at, at gambling, how gambling has progressed over the last decades to where you had to go to Las Vegas to gamble. And now it's everywhere. Uh, it's not a family-friendly thing. I mean, people thought it was going to be this huge amount of cash that would come into their states, and now it's just so diluted that there's really no money coming in. It's, cost, it's causing more damage uh, and even money-wise and then the money coming it's not a family-friendly thing by making it legal and and trying to get you know value out of it it's, it just hasn't worked and you know with the drug thing you just can't take something that's bad for you and make it good by legalizing it in my opinion yeah Andy Rooney on 60 minutes this is some years ago had a, a commentary on uh, uh, gambling and just he, he just didn't understand how how it could uh, be so harmful but then be so allowed how can the voters be so stupid? You know, and I love uh, Las Vegas. We're headed to Las Vegas for a week or two in February. We go out at least once a year, if not twice. I love the whole aura of Nevada, the whole aura of Vegas. It's just a fun, exciting place to be. When I was in the legislature, I voted against every gambling bill that came down the pike. I don't want to see it in my backyard. I like the idea that you had to go on a plane, hop on a plane, and go 1,300 miles away from Kansas to gamble. I like that. I just hate it that we've got it everywhere now because it is doing a lot of harm. But the gambling lobby, they've been so successful as far as their public relations campaign. And again, it points out, I don't want to say the stupidity, but the ignorance of the average voter, if you will. In Kansas City, Earl Glenn, correct me if I'm wrong, the statistics two years ago, the riverboats in Kansas City were taking in net profit $3 million a week like Net that. profit. And the Chamber of Commerce in Kansas City was still selling casino gaming as economic opportunity. Every week, $3 million was on a plane headed out of Kansas City somewhere or was being transferred electronically out of Kansas City. Kansas City was $3 million poorer every week, money that was no longer there. Somebody had lost that money in a casino and were selling Casino gambling, gaming, as economic development. Yeah, that uh, I never it, understood that. <laughs> but they've been very successful on selling it that way. Well, people are making money along the way, obviously. <laughs> the, and, and I think that filters into why things like that get voted in, because somebody down the line is making some money off of it. Oh, sure. It's a huge industry. Yeah, huge money. Well, like the lottery. And I chaired the Kansas Lottery for four years, and I was on the Lottery Commission for nine years. Governor Finney appointed me. Governor Graves reappointed me to chair it. And I know when Governor Graves reappointed me, I said, Bill, 
take a look at my voting record. I voted against <laughs> the creation of the lottery. And Bill pretty much had it pegged right, Governor Graves. He said, you know, I'm not looking for a cheerleader. I'm looking for a watchdog, which is the reason you should have somebody yeah. serving on a commission. Uh, not an advocate for whatever it is that you're serving on a commission for, but as a watchdog. So he pretty much had it. The law was the law, though, at the time. So Yeah. But the lottery, you know, it takes in $50 million in net profit every year that's coming from Kansans. When you buy a dollar lottery ticket, 60% of that money is returned to the player in some form. Means That means 40% is tied up in administration, cost, money being returned to the state. It's, uh, what irritates me about the lottery is how long I have to wait in line at the quick shop to get something because somebody's buying tickets. and oh, all the numbers. numbers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have to care, I guess. <laughs> and, and the people that, you know, it's people that can't afford to buy those tickets that are buying them, hoping they're going to hit the jackpot, and it's just costing them money that they should be spending on their family. That's why I, I don't like those things. You know, a lot of people think, oh, the lottery's not harmful or the gambling isn't going to hurt anybody. It's just a little bit of fun. But it's the people that it hurts that you got to watch out for, the people that can't help themselves. They, they're, them and their family are the ones that get damaged. And so, to me, it's more about looking out for your neighbor. Now, taking a look at the demographics of who buys a lottery ticket, you know, the lower you go on the economic food chain, the more apt that person is to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. You don't have people in the six-figure incomes running to a quick shop purchasing a lottery ticket, but somebody, you know, making twelve, fifteen thousand a year, they're in line. Yeah. Probably buying that ticket. Yeah. Let's talk about our elections coming up November the second. Predictions. We can take a look at this on the local level, state level, national level. Well national level I guess the kind of the consensus of the pundits I've been hearing is the Republicans will probably take the House and it's questionable what's gonna happen with the Senate. It looks like it's gonna be Maybe the Democrats still have that by a vote or two, but we'll just have to wait for the outcome. The one race Earl Glenn is really focused on, locally, statewide, national, the one that you're going to be paying the most attention to because of some emotional connectivity with the candidate, with the state, the locale, the race. Who would that be? If you could just have Earl Glenn's candidate to win, who, what race is most important to you emotionally? Well, I guess uh, I've always looked at voter registration data. Maybe we can talk about that here in a few minutes. So I'm kind of curious on the Kansas Secretary of State's race because uh, Chris Kobach is proposing a number of p potential changes uh, on how, how that office might operate. So I'm just kind of curious if uh, how that might turn out. Lee Hartman. The race that I'm most interested in right now is Attorney General. And that's probably got more to do with the pro-life issue than anything in my case because with the the way the Kansas Supreme Court is made up right now and the way the judges are selected it's hard to change that uh, and the way the Attorney General and everybody involved in that has kind of turned a, a deaf ear to some of the charges that Phil Klein came up with and everybody down the line that has to do with the abortion issue you know, it's a very volatile issue. People are lined up on both sides. There's a lot of money involved. And so I'm just interested in, in uh, getting people out of there that, that aren't interested in making those folks follow the law. Kansas has a pretty good law when it comes to abortion. but Now, Lee Hartman, do you it. perceive Derek Smith as being a champion of the pro-life movement? Well, much more. Or just getting out of the way when Sam Brownback selected and letting 
Sam Brownback do his thing when it comes to the pro-life issue. Am I wrong about Derek Smith? Well, do you think he's going to champion? I'm not so changes? sure that he would champion it, but I he would just get out of the way. There's been a lot of obstruction up to this time, and okay. so getting the obstructionists out of the way is a big part of it. Well, what's what's going to be really interesting, Jim, is with a I don't remember last time we had a conservative governor in Kansas, along with a fairly conservative legislature. So it's going to be interesting. They may try bills they haven't even tried because because they knew they're going to be shot down. So uh, that whole balance is going to be kind of interesting to watch. Conservative legislature. Something happened in our state senate that I'm unaware of. Well, I mean, you, you, you can still get things through the <laughs> That's house. An embarrassment. You can still get things through the house. <laughs> the, sen the senate may block things, but there seems to be some some tempering of, of that. Well, in fact, somebody was joking that the senate may have to wear name tags because there's going to be changes if Tim Holzkamp is elected out in Western Kansas. Jim Barnett just changed his seat just changed, and there's speculation on who might replace. Uh, uh, the, the lieutenant governor's candidate, Jeff Collier, in, in our area. Yeah. So and Derek Smith, should Derek Smith win well, the race, then you've another, another. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether that's uh, going to necessitate uh, a turn to the right philosophically. I don't we had her shot in Emporia. Uh, Peggy Mast basically was shut out of the process as far as uh, taking over for our retiring state senator from the Emporia area. Jeff Longbine is, from what I understand, I've never met the gentleman. But from what I understand, he's going to be lined up, aligned with the left of center Republican leadership of the state Senate. So nobody is going to be as good, as effective, as conservative as Tim Hill's camp in the first district. So there's a I loss there, at, you, I guess you could argue. I think it's, there's going to be. How big of a loss is still to be determined. But we're going to miss having Tim Hill's camp in the state Senate. But I think, I think the biggest change is going to be who's in the governor's chair because all those all these bills that they did pass and got vetoed are now going to be able to go through and just the fact that they know who's in the governor's chair is going to change what kind of bills actually get voted on. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe our Republican uh, leadership in the Senate will make somewhat of a turn to the right based on uh, governor Brownback being a Republican governor, hopefully that's going to happen. Well, he can uh, twist some arms. He can. Let's hope he, so. He can. <clears throat> he can change things the way that it wasn't changed before. Twist some arms, break some necks, whatever he needs to do in that state senate because it's an embarrassment to the Republican Party right now. It's a. It's a. It's an end of a lot of years that there was just that always knowing that there was only so much you could do because anything else is going to get shot down on the veto level. So it's going to be a big change there. But I wanted to go back to what Earl said about uh, Chris Kobach, because he's a favorite of mine, and uh, I really want to see him do well. I like a lot of his proposals and what he says about uh, the things that need to be changed in the voting registration and and how uh, how you're you know you're allowed to vote, the restrictions on 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 that to try to get rid of voter fraud. Uh, I think there's a lot more of that than people realize. So. I'd like to see him do well and, and see some of his changes get implemented. I would, too. You know, Lee Hartman, the one thing that uh, years ago kept me from registering, re-registering as a Democrat, just as a protest to George W. Bush, so I wouldn't be identified with that guy in any way, shape, or form, was the Democrats' position on voter IDs. You know, as far as ballot reform, uh, Election Day reform, the Democrats at every turn have encouraged voter fraud. And I think that, you know, by blocking voter IDs is a perfect example. 
Whether we have widespread abuses in Kansas, I don't know. But I certainly know to the core of my soul the potential for widespread abuses is there. I, I think and the word potential is what I like. I, I can't really yeah. document actual cases, but the potential is great. And um, I've been working with Channel 41, NBC Action News in Kansas City, and they're going to start a series... Uh, it's supposed to be announced on their website later today where I got the list of 86 million dead people in the United States, carved out who I thought was dead from Kansas, who I thought was dead from Missouri, and we compared that with the voter registration list. And the first name they're going to release that's on that list was former, former Governor Avery, who died about a year ago. He was still a registered voter until yesterday when Channel 41 called the county clerk in Clay Center and ask about it. And so then wow. asking about it then took him off the list. So wow. I can't give you any numbers now, but we're, we, we're looking into that, and that will be a series they will be doing over the next week or so. Okay, that's on 41. We can't pick that up on cable here in Topeka. But if you're listening in Lawrence, I think Lawrence carries 41, don't yeah. they? Okay. I know Topeka doesn't, but that's going to be starting... Well, they, it's going to go on the website uh, supposedly by noon or 1 o'clock today, so later today anyway. It's just okay. the, the first tease. It's, it's a whole series that they're going to be doing. Okay. And it will focus on Kansas and Missouri. Uh, ironically, we found more problems in St. Louis than anywhere. Really, yeah. Well, you know, going back to John Ashcroft's defeat years ago, that's when St. Louis uh, kept the polls open two hours later than statutorily they were supposed to, and there were enough votes ca cast in the hood basically to defeat John Ashcroft. And, There's yeah. been a lot of, even on the national level, close races. Lou, pull your mic in a little closer. There's been a lot of uh, close races on the there national level. Uh, I mean, look at the Senate race in Minnesota. I mean, that went down to a dogfight in you know, closed rooms of who, whose votes got counted and whose didn't. And yeah, Al Franken, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm in agreement with you. Chris Kobach on a state level, I'm passionate about Chris, and I think I've told both of you the story. When I was chairing the Shawnee County Republican Party back in 1983, that we created an Alf Landon scholarship, basically for the graduating high school senior that wrote the best essay on good government. Our 1983 first winner of our Landon scholarship was Chris Kobach. And uh, so I followed Chris ever since, and I'm also passionate you know, Ron Thornburg uh, talked a good game when it came to voter ID, but I think Chris Kobach is going to be a strong enough leader. Chris Kobach has the patience to get something done. Uh, so, well, least comment about Minnesota is interesting because I was talking to Brad Bryant at the Secretary of State, and they kind of chair, I think it's 11 states regionally, where they look, they do cross-check uh, a voter registration in multiple states. But for whatever reason, Minnesota bowed out of that in the last uh, year or so. So it's kind of curious why they did that. Really? So they don't want to check with other states to see if there's multiple registrations. Mm -hmm. So that, that's just very curious. Well, and, and you know, well, they've, mm -hmm. they've, George Soros has been behind this whole national movement of electing Democratic state secretaries of state. To, because when these closed races come in, it's the Secretary of State's office that has a lot of sway in how these votes are counted in the pro whole process. So your Secretary of State, and most, most people probably don't think it's that important of an office, but it really can be. Well, Absolutely. It, there's a Secretary of State project, supposedly, that, that looks at that. I've looked into that a little bit, and there isn't a lot of money. They're, they're only focused on five or six states. Kansas was not one of them. But I, I just don't. I don't know whether it's more hype or, or reality on, on that whole thing right now. So. Yeah, the only polling numbers I've seen, uh, Lee Hartman, Earl Glenn, maybe you've seen the same numbers. They're all coming out of Wichita, Take TV, I believe, and how scientific the polling is down there, I'm not sure. Uh, the only race right now that looks tight, I guess, I'm surprised, I guess Ron Estes is actually 
ahead of Dennis Bacchetti, the incumbent Democrat treasurer. And the only race that's really airtight, as I understand it, is our attorney general's race. And it's supposed to be tied as Six and Smith, yeah. Uh, to where Kobach apparently has a fairly comfortable lead, according to, you know, the polls that are coming out of the Wichita community. Yeah, but the race could boil down as far as the Democrats if they're going to retain anything. It could be. Uh, That's my perception. And if you know, if you watch TV, you see Six's ads uh, where he really tears down Derek Schmidt and talks about you know who he takes money from and all this, but doesn't tell you that he takes money from the same people. And I really haven't heard that much, you know, advertising from from uh, Derek Schmidt's campaign. So I don't know if he's going to start flooding the market here in the last couple of weeks. But so far, we've heard very little about him. Well, and Six's ad, to give him credit, it's an, it's an effective ad because, you know, this whole payday loan industry, you know, I spent 24 years working for the National Credit Union Association. You know, we were friends of the consumer, the protectorates of the consumer, if you will. This payday loan industry, there's nothing sleazier than <laughs> payday loans. <laughs> you know, as far as something that is legal in this community or this state, Payday loans has to be on the top three of something that we just need to go about the business of eliminating. And six is hitting Smith hard on the issue. But as you point out, if you take a look at contributions from the payday loan industry, six has actually received more money, I believe, from that industry than Smith. And Smith's skirts are far from being clean on this issue. Well, but six is the same thing. Well, and even and the legislators, there's lots of legislators that go ahead and accept the money from wherever it comes from. So um. Yeah, yeah. Well, taking a look at Lynn Jenkins, her largest contributor over the past four years is QV or QC, QC Holdings, I think. QC Holdings. Uh, she leads the pack uh, as far as her most significant contributor. It's QC Holdings. Very curious. Again, that is a payday loan outfit. And, uh, but what we're talking about on payday loans Kansas has changed the law to where if you are borrowing money for a week or two from a payday loan or a title outfit, you're going to pay 391% interest on that loan. 391%. Now, anybody can run for any office and accept money from this group is just beyond me. I, I don't get it. And the payday loan bill, well, it's it's law in Kansas, 391% interest. I'm not and so uh, much concerned about who they're taking money from as, as what they're going to do when they vote because, you know, they're going to give that money to somebody, so why not give it to me? I know when I get up there, I'm going to vote for what's right and what's good for the family. Uh, you know, the money, to me, the money takes on the personality of the person that has it. If you take it away from bad people and give it to good people, that's a good thing. So I'm not so concerned about where they get their money from as long as they're going to vote the right way when they get up there. But it is an indication, you know, of, of what they're thinking. There are some groups that try to give money everywhere because they're, they're in some sense just wanting access later on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, true, true. Predictions. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose in Kansas? Are we going to see any possibility of an upset anywhere at any level in Kansas, Earl Glenn? I think that the... Uh, AG and the treasurer's races are probably still kind of unknown. The, the governor's race probably is fairly safe for, for Brownback. Uh, I, I just don't see any any movement there at all. Uh, so it, 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 there's still some unknowns there. I think we have to wait. Yeah, I don't know when I've seen a race that was so so much of a foregone conclusion as Brownback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the attorney general's race is the one that 
that I'm wondering about because I just don't see much out there. I think if you went on Kansas Avenue and asked people who's Derek Schmidt, most of them wouldn't know. They wouldn't know, right. So it's not until they walk in the voters' box if they decide maybe they're going to vote for an R or a D is the only thing because most of them aren't going to know who he is. But I think other than the governor's race, that might be true of all the races on at the state level. Pretty yeah, much. They, they aren't that well known. Yeah. Yeah. Now, most of them, I think, know who Chris Kobach is because he's on TV so much and Fox News and different things because of his his uh, involvement in the illegal immigration. But uh, what I, w- I wanted to ask you, Earl, you said you were going to have some stuff on the website. Are you talking about the uh, Kansas Watchdog? KansasWatchdog.org. I'm going to... I always... I always worry about these active-inactive voters, and there's a case uh, in Missouri, District 40, which is really just northeast of downtown Kansas City, that was decided by two votes, or no, one vote, I got that wrong, it was decided by one vote, but we did some analysis of the active-inactive voters. Inactive voters are ones that likely do not have a valid address, and I gave the list of inactive voters that voted in this August primary this year to the people that were looking into that, and they found it a boarded-up house, no one had apparently lived there in months, but two people voted from that address. So wh- what I don't understand about the active-inactive voters is the inactive voters are on the list. They can vote if they show up. They likely don't have the right address. They probably are voting in the wrong state election. You know, they've probably moved somewhere. They're probably voting okay in, in, in the state elect- elections, but not the local elections. So I like to scrutinize inactive voters, and so I'll be doing that early this, this, this next week. And Earl, we might point out, Earl Glenn, that how all of this started, it used to be, up until a few years ago, individual states had basically the rights to determine who was on a voter's list and who wasn't. If you go back into the 80s and 90s in Kansas, if you missed three consecutive, I could have two, two consecutive general elections, you were purged from the list. Automatically. Automatically purged. Your name was no longer on the voter registration list. What happened, again, the feds have stepped into what should be legitimately a state issue, determining what we can and can't do with a voter registration list. And again, based on the motor voter law, I think it was called, we've once again have opened the door to potentially widespread voter fraud everywhere, as you pointed out in Missouri. This isn't the Missouri Secretary of State's issue. This is something that has happened on the national level. Well, now, where our Secretary of State's have been on this issue, why they haven't put the heat on to revise, reform, do away with this National Voter Voter Act is beyond me. Yeah, yeah, well, I complain about Kansas. Kansas, uh, I've looked at recently uh, several different states, Nevada, Colorado, Kansas, um, Missouri, and I looked at Florida a little bit. Kansas is the best on the list on this inactive voters. It's about 8%. So 8% of our voters, we don't know where they live, basically. It gets a little worse in Missouri. It's like 11%. Colorado is up to 23 24%. Nevada is also very high on the in- inactive list. So um, in Florida, I had to go through rounds and rounds just to find out even if they had numbers down there. Uh, they had the cheapest data you can buy. You can buy all 11 million voters in Florida for 10 bucks. In Kansas, you get $1.7 million or voters for $200. So there ought to be lots of analysis on the on Florida, but it just hasn't been happening. I'll be interesting, interesting. Well, it's a law that needs to be changed nationally. Well, I like what they do in Connecticut. They have the actives inactives in Connecticut, <laughs> but if you go in and you're an inactive voter, if you're if you're on the inactive list, you have to file an affidavit that you live at that address, and they check it out. So all, they know, and there's some checks and there's a check and balance in place that you voted in the right place. And by signing that thing and by knowing that someone's going to check on it, people are less likely to try anything. Politically, how do you all feel about what uh, Oregon and Washington, I think these are the only two states 
now that have gone mail ballot elections only. There is no polling place to be found in the state of Oregon, the state of Washington. Everything is done via mail ballot. Well, the, the inactive lists or the inactive percentage, I think, are, are very high in those states, which means that there's lots of people who don't know exactly where they live. So that word potential comes back that there's the potential for fraud in those states because of that. It's just a weaker, there's less check. Is there? You know, and again, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I don't like uh, mail ballot elections because, to me, you have too many uninformed people that have got a six-pack under the belt, and they've got this <laughs> voter card in front of them, and they fill it out. They have no idea what they're voting on or for who. Uh, I think it encourages a lot of people to vote that shouldn't be, frankly. But looking at voter security... I would think you would have more protection with a mail ballot election, wouldn't you? In other words, if you're mailing uh, this ballot out to an address and that ballot is returned, it's going back to the Secretary of State or whoever's making the mass mailing. But that should be your checks and balance, shouldn't but, it? But those inactive voters, they, they, they come back. Well, they don't always come back. There are cases that ballots can be accepted when, uh, like at, uh, there's a retirement center. There's a former KU chancellor that died in... in uh, the Kansas City area at a retirement center. The retirement center accepts all incoming mail. And so he was left on the list for years and years as an as a active voter because they just accepted mail from any, any, anybody. So there's still ways that those things can be manipulated, okay. And, and, okay. And, and that's the concern. Good point. Okay. When even on our second constitutional amendment, I don't know if we have time to talk about this, the, the second one on, on mentally ill, some people are worried that it's some mental, Ill, mental uh, facilities that people may be voting there. On the other hand, it seems like it's a law that needs to be cleaned up, that in 1974 they changed the statute in a way that broadened it versus narrow, narrowing it, and so it, it looks like something that we need, really need to address. Oh, you know, if the average voter was aware of some of the voter laws we have in some of our states, Nebraska, Massachusetts, for example, polling places in prison. You vote in prison. Convicted felons, while you're behind bars, you haven't lost your right to vote. Craziness. Uh, we're just about out of time. Let's run around uh, because Dave Jackson just walked in. Lee Hartman, what's coming up in the November issue of the Metro Voice? A, B. How can our well listeners find the Metro Voice? We'll we'll have a, a wrap up, a short wrap up of the election. Our our November issue comes out the day after the election. But I really want to emphasize that people should not only vote because that helps overcome some of the problems the more people that vote it makes the the voter fraud less of a, of a thing so they can go to metrovoicenews.com we have voter guides on there uh, you can go to kansaswatchdog.org he's got good stuff on there so you know be an informed voter uh, take the time to check out the, ra the races so you know who you're voting for that's okay. what's important we well, hope you'll come back sure this has been a good hour Appreciate it. Earl Glenn, what's coming up on KansasWatchdog.org? We have a number of voting stories. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this inactive, active thing. And then the KSHB connection will probably start later in the week. We'll, we'll be trying to, we'll be echoing more data than what they have online. And you mentioned prisons. Okay. I did an open records request to get the list of 200 and some thousand on the Kansas prisoner list of, of prisoners. I can't get that till November 10th. So unfortunately, I will only know that after the election. I will say this, there is one very notable case in the last year of someone that was convicted in Kansas, and that guy is still on the voter registration list. Really? Interesting. He does well, that's going to be valuable information after the November of the second elections, because especially if Chris Kobach wins as Secretary of State, and if Senator Brownback wins his race for governor, I think we've got two people that are passionate about cleaning up our voter registration laws. 
Well, we, Kansas, so this could be valuable information just going to. But we still have our hands tied by federal law. That's still one of the big problems there. Yeah, yeah. Except now we're going to have that strong voice, you know, going to our national secretary of state meetings. Yes. It's going to have, you know, the heel of the shoe pounding <laughs> on the desk that <laughs> it's time to do something. Okay. Um, Dave Jackson on deck. We're going to be talking about lawn and garden issues. Former state senator. I might ask uh, Dave some of the same questions that we were talking about. You want to join us next Friday? I could. I could. You want to? I could. I'd oh, love to have you back. Okay. Okay. All right. And uh, Lee, let's just uh, book you, what, three weeks from now? Do you want to come back? Sounds good. All right. Let's do that. Got her down. Dave Jackson on deck. Stay tuned, folks. A lot more to come. I'm Jim Cates. KJOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Camp. Topeka Collegiate, Topeka's only independent school, treats every child as gifted. Each student is encouraged to excel in a caring, small-class learning environment guided by humanitarian principles. At Topeka Collegiate, children fall in love with learning. Enrollment is limited. Call 228-0490 or visit our website at topekacollegiate.org. Topeka Collegiate School, educating children for life. Excuse me. Why are you saving those old eyeglasses? You know the ones, stuck away in the desk drawer, haven't been worn in years. Yeah, those. You should donate them to your local Lions Club. Lions Clubs have been collecting used eyeglasses for years. They'll take your old eyeglasses and recycle them for someone in need of proper eyewear. Call your local Lions Club for information on where you can donate your old eyeglasses. Lions Clubs International. We serve. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. We're back with Jim Cates at cjonline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. And he's going to be joining us next Friday, folks, along, I think, with uh, Tom Erskine. I think that's Tom Erskine's uh, day to appear on the show. And Lee Hartman with the Metro Voice is going to be back with us uh, sometime, well, in three weeks. We've got um, Lee booked, so... Two good guests. Really enjoyed both of them. Good morning, Dave Jackson. Hey, good morning. Well, we got into a lot of issues. Uh, we were talking about election day politics and this AG's race. It appears if there's going to be a close race, and a good friend of mine, Dwayne Nightingale, is uh, the county chairman uh, for Derek Smith. I know. Yeah. I'm. Uh, he dropped signs by, and I put Derek signs up 
I'm sure you did. So, folks, if you want a yard sign for uh, Derek Smith, a good friend of mine, certainly has him. Dwayne Nightingale, you can look his name up in the phone book. But do you think that's going to be the race on the state level? Do you see any other real race shaping up? Well, what about uh, what about uh, Dennis McKinney and Estes? What do you think? I think that's going to be close. Could be. Could be. Uh, how many people know Ron Estes, Dennis McKinney? Is that going to be a race because there's neither one of them apparently have any money? Right. You know, as far as getting the name out. Right. They don't seem to. Isn't that going to be a race possibly this time to where the voters are going to return home to their political party of choice? It's possible. Now, uh, I'm going to have you pull that mic in. Just okay, I didn't want to blast you out of there. Uh, but anyway, it's possible that, um, that that that's what's going to happen. Uh, the AG's race, there's a lot of money being infused into this race. Well, both sides. six has got close to, what, close to a million dollars mostly coming in from out of state uh, to support him. It's, it's humorous that he's accusing Schmidt of taking uh, payday loan money when, in fact, he's taken twice as much. Uh, money from those those folks that run payday loan places. They're sleazy operators. I'm not a payday loan fan at all, but no. you're right. And then the the other thing that he says They're about skirts are dirty on both sides on that issue. Well, true, but uh, that that article that bill that uh, purportedly Schmidt um, supported to uh, that allowed interest rates to be raised also, the, as I recall, was a bill that was going to bring some regulation to those people. And you know when you're putting together some kind of legislation, you, there's give and take, and to get the regulation in place that uh, uh, so that these people would have some oversight, they had to agree to allow some rates to change. That's uh, the way I remember that particular bill. Yeah, I'm not sure you would have to allow rates to change. 391 percent is ridiculous. I mean, well, it is ridiculous. It's criminal. But, it's criminal. But you know what you have to do to get a bill through to get yeah. some regulation and all that kind of stuff. You know what yeah. you have to do. Yeah. You've been there. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, um, the way it was before, the Kansas Banking Commission couldn't touch him. Well, I think Derek Smith, bright individual, oh. bright as can be. Right. And a very likable, very charming individual. I like Derek Smith. I don't like the idea that either one of these people took money from that sleazy baby loan industry. Well, the thing but the point being, Derek's a good guy in mm -hmm. so many ways. But this is going to be a close race. I think six is ad, from what I'm hearing, is resonating with the voters it on is. this payday loan industry. It is. It is. And, and Schmidt needs to produce one and, and say, hey, listen, this guy's... This is the pot calling the kettle black because this this guy has taken more money from them than I did. Um, there you have it, and his money's all coming from out of state. Now who's he gonna who's he gonna be listening to? Mm -hmm. I you know if I was doing that, I guess I'd try to produce a an ad that says this is this is just not a, a good ad. But anyway, I mean this is untrue, or it's true, but however I don't know how you do that. You, you're more of a strategist than I am, really. Terms of uh, the elections, what about uh, what about Chris Kobach's race? You know, again, we were talking about that last hour, Dave Jackson. The only polling that's been done, I know there's probably some confidential internal polls. I know there is on both sides. You can count on that. Yeah, <laughs> but the ones that the public are privy to, you know, are coming out of Wichita, right? And uh, they're showing right now. These are not totally scientific polls, right? 
that are emanating out of Wichita. They're showing Kobach with a comfortable lead. They sure are. Yeah. I saw those polls, but yeah. I'd sure like to see a statewide poll. Yeah, because Kobach is not the darling of the mainstream media. No, uh, I'm sure. passionate, and I don't dislike Chris Biggs. Chris has always been accessible. He's been a guest on this show on numerous occasions, and uh, and I'll give Chris Biggs an attaboy for that. Mm-hmm. For I'm not there. anti-Chris Biggs. I'm very pro Chris Kobach. I'm well, passionate about Kobach winning this thing because of just cleaning up our election laws. Mm-hmm. They really needed it. They <laughs> really do need it. It's yeah. uh, going all the way back to when Graves was uh, Secretary of State. He had Graves had a chance to do the job and didn't. Um, they all have. And Right. They all have, basically. Uh, although, uh, to uh, uh, one of the... Who was it? One of the Secretary of States... Uh, uh, once the one that just resigned, he did bring us some bills uh, in the elections and local committee to to clean that up a little bit. And at that time, Barbara Allen was the chair, and she wouldn't hear him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, Thornburg, Ron Thornburg, mm-hmm. did bring us some bills in 2002 and three, uh, and they didn't get much uh, they didn't get much traction in the Senate side. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah. Republicans blocking bills to clean up our voter rolls. But that's, yeah, I would agree. But it looks like Kobach, you know, if we don't have some strong Kansas City Star slash Wichita Eagle endorsements just ripping him to shreds, which I'm still concerned could happen, (laughs) that uh, I think Kobach's a winner. Lord knows. I hope so. Mm -hmm. He's got such a future ahead of him. How long we're going to have him as Secretary of State, who knows. Right. Hopefully long enough to get you know these voter issues cleaned up in Kansas. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You betcha. Bet I'm still convinced my uh, race was lost on some uh, 98 votes was lost in illegal uh, absentee uh, vote ballot gathering. And I, don't I don't know whether you heard Earl Glenn's conversation as he was walking out the door. Something about the dead voters. You need to be in here next Friday. Folks, the story's going to break next Thursday. Earl was telling me off air there's a lot that he can't say. They're putting the finishing touches on. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, dead people voting. You don't want to miss next Friday's show. Right. And you don't want to miss going to KansasWatchdog.org. You can start reading about this. Uh, next Thursday, most of this is going to be out, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be out there, I think, by next Thursday, possibly. So Great. It's going to be quite a story, and I'll again, pertaining to your race, uh, there could be some interesting things that are going to come out on this, on possible voter fraud in Shawnee County. Mm-hmm. Now, Earl's out of Johnson County, but he's taking a look at Shawnee County, and so we'll see what comes, comes of all this. We will. We will be interesting. But anyway, I'm, not that I'm bellyaching. The, not being a state senator has really helped our business in the last uh, four years. We've uh, virtually uh, increased, since I left the Senate, we've increased our business by roughly, uh, oh, not quite double. We won't quite have doubled from 2005, but very close. Wow. Um, but, uh, so we've, it's been a good five years. This year continues strong. And... Uh, we thank all of our uh, customers uh, for coming in and seeing us and driving by the other the other guys' places to come see us, driving all the way across town to come see us from Southwest Topeka. Yeah. 
Well, you don't have to drive all the way across town to see you Not north of the river anymore because you've got 61st and Fairlawn. It is. The it's White Park. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Again, such a great facility. Hey, let's take a, a quick break if we could. Taking it a little early, I need to run down the hall. Okay. I have drank a lot of coffee this morning. Good. Oh, yes. Great. Well, not good. <laughs> great coffee this morning. Oh, boy, tell me. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center, Jim.Kates at CJOnline.com. If you have a question or a comment, stay tuned. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top of the line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foyden House, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Foss line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, we're back with Dave Jackson. Now, can I get Monday on the show, by the way? State Representative Mike Burgess is going to be joining us at 8 o'clock, and then Jonathan Williams with Alec is oh, going to be joining us at uh, 9 o'clock by phone. We're going to be talking about 
a book that uh, Jonathan publishes every year, Rich States, Poor States. You know, oh, comparing uh, yeah, Kansas yeah. to the other 49 states on economic opportunities, taxes, spending the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. Going to be a fun, fun yeah, hour. Yeah, that would be. That would be. Going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. Good day. Let's talk about. Uh, we missed you last Friday. We were having challenges internally. I think we've got most of them worked out now. Um, something you were talking about in uh, Annette's tips last week was free compost mm-hmm. bins. bins. Free compost bins, right. What is a free compost bin? How do we get a free compost bin? Let's, let's talk about composting. That's one of the things you hit on last week. Not this week, but last week. Well, of course, comp- composting is a, a great opportunity to uh, recycle, and uh, it's a absolute... Um, free to you to, to be able to do it. All you uh, drop in the county extension office there at 17th and Western. They'll give you a, a little brochure on how to compost and together with a little coupon that you can bring out to our place and we'll give you one of these. This compost bin is made out of recycled rubber and it's got holes punched in it and you unwrap it, unroll it and it's going to be a big three, three to four foot round bin when you get done. It's going to be about three feet high and then you just start uh, collecting and shredding your leaves and putting them in or your grass, whatever you clean up from your perennial beds next spring or whatever, what have you. You just put it in there. Uh, you make it, it's kind of like lasagna. You kind of layer it with, uh, you have to add uh, soil every six inches or so to uh, add the bacteria that will actually break the rest of the compost down into additional soil. What happens then is the temperatures, because you covered it the temperatures rise a little bit and you get a little bit of slow oxidation going on which breaks down the uh, detritus that you put in there the organic matter you can't put of course you can't put sticks in there unless you've made sawdust out of them or something but food waste of course is great any food waste rather than grind it up and put it down the sewer you can put it out there in your bins and put food waste yeah. How do you keep the animals away? What? Well, I'm not talking about meats and stuff. Most animals aren't big into uh, cucumber rinds and cantaloupe grounds and, or whatever and coffee grounds okay. and all that stuff. It's basically vegetable food waste. Mm, basically. Animal food waste don't put into a compost. I wouldn't put meat in there, no, because you okay. could have a raccoon come in and dig through it okay. and find it and yeah. knock over your compost bin and throw the compost all over the yard. That's not fun. Yeah. Raccoons are a... So if it's vegetable-oriented compost, food compost, you're going to be okay. You're vegetable not going to fruit, right. It's, okay. It's, it's not going to attract much of anything. Plus, you can put it in and then also cover it with uh, your leaves and stuff. But anyway, that's composting. It's free. It's a great, uh, it's a, a green kind of a thing. The compost is great. Just nothing better than adding compost to your gardens, especially you uh, poor folks that live out in southwest Topeka that have... Uh, native brick for soil out there that's <laughs> it, it really really helps your your garden uh and or it's something that if, if you have foundation settlement you can put that soil uh, that compost becomes soil you can put that around your foundations you can use it and fill washes with it you can do anything you'd like with that but fill any low area add it to your garden and this will all take place over the course of the winter so if you yeah. start on a compost pile today mm-hmm. next spring you're going to have good, rich soil. Right. There is a the certain matter of having to turn it every now and again. Uh, you can 
You can do that with a, a regular compost turner that's manual, or you can get you a, a drill, uh, a cordless drill with an, an auger bit, a bulb auger bit, and go out there and, and just go up and down with the holes, and that turns it as well. You don't, it, you, you can turn your compost bin with one of those drill bits in roughly uh, 60 seconds, you know, hmm. <laughs> rather than doing it by hand, of course, the old-fashioned way. But I've always been a proponent of a cordless drill and, and, a, and a good... Well, they run a the good big heavy duty drill bit runs about fifteen to twenty five dollars depending the heavy duty one's twenty five dollars and that really does turn your compost. So that's what okay. Yeah, uh, this is free. It yeah. is free, not the bit, not the bit or the drill, but the compost bin is free. And again, you don't pick this up at Jackson's, folks. This is through the Shawnee County Extension. Well, you get the coupon at Shawnee County Extension, then you come out to see us and pick up the the bin. Okay. So you need to get the coupon first mm -hmm. from the Shawnee County Extension. Right. With then the direct to Jackson. Yeah. They, they, they give you the directions on how to do this because they want you to be successful. And then at the bottom of that direction sheet is a coupon. Okay. That's we, how it works. We fill your name in then and we give it back to the county and then you become uh, um, uh, eligible to receive county uh, updates by email updates if you wish on uh, things horticulture. You can so it's a, it's just a good take thing. advantage of it, folks. Oh, sure, your tax dollars are paying for it, so you might as well. Absolutely, yeah. So anyway, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about uh, reseeding, overseeding. Uh, this weekend is positively, definitively the last weekend that you can overseed a yard. This is it, right? I'm well until we get into dormant overseeding, which then we're going to. Uh, move into December or something when the seed positively won't come up, but it, you can through snows and that kind of stuff the seed will be worked into the soil. You can you'll be able to pick it up again at that point if for some reason you uh, weren't able to get your seeding done. Uh, but but this would be the last great chance to do it. We've got rain coming in that would uh, prepare your soil and and uh, get that seed down in. Uh, very well, and uh, we've got enough mild weather remaining, and the soil temperatures are still warm enough that seed will come up. Um, there uh, is a caveat to that: there, if in fact the seed does come up and do very well, and we can't, we don't have a, a gazing globe or a, a, a fortune teller's ball, whatever you call those things. We can't uh, know, but I mean, if if in fact when that grass is is up and little. If we if we have one of those rare winter storms come through where the temperatures drop into the low 20s without some kind of protective snow cover, uh, you could lose that grass. It could freeze. <clears throat> I mean, so that that would be the risk you're taking at this point. Uh, but uh, the chances are, oh, roughly maybe one in five that we would have that kind of weather in early November if you're going back 15, 20 years. But it yeah. has happened. Right now, it looks pretty good. It really, right now, looks really good <coughs> in terms of looking ahead on our forecast in the paper. So get out this weekend. If you haven't overseeded yet, you need to do it this weekend. Right. And I did bring in a new pallet of seed. Another ton is uh, should be being unloaded there in the next hour uh, for folks that are going to do it. Uh, Goodyear called, and they're going to they're going to come in Monday and buy 13 bags of the stuff, 650 pounds. Oh boy. So. So that's two-thirds of it gone. Mm -hmm. So, so one-third. 
Six fifty is a third of a ton. Third of a ton, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tons two thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been out of school for a while. Didn't pay a, <laughs> a lot of attention when I was there. Obviously, Dave Jackson Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center, two locations, sixty first and Fairlawn, or nineteen thirty three Lower Silver Lake Road. Dave, getting into dormant seeding, mm-hmm. is it better to do it in December or try to catch that last snow in February, early March? Does, or does it make any difference? Makes no difference to the seed. Dormant seeding or dormant seeding. It's right. Either one's going right. going to be. It's going to be six of one, half a dozen of the other. Correct. Okay. Correct. It really doesn't matter. But uh, so it gives you a good three month window uh, of opportunity uh, to to get the seed down even then. What that does then, uh, the moment it warms up enough, then your seed will germinate in place, right where you put it. And uh, you don't have to wait for decent weather in March or April. Uh, it becomes a lot trickier and a lot less root system uh, available for uh, survival in the in the summer months if you wait and do it in April when the seed will actually germinate. With by having it in place and having it worked into the soil, you just have a lot better result long term. So anyway, that's that's why dormant seeding is the second best seeding that I, at least from my purport, my uh, look, outlook, I think is the best. Well, it makes second, no difference. December, January, February, March, makes no difference. Uh, right. Should you try to catch your dormant seeding right before rain, right before snowfall, watch the weather forecast, or do you want to leave that dormant seed out there on cold, dry, dry ground, or should you try to catch it? Right before moisture. Yeah, I prefer to put it down right, right before, right, uh, uh, or I mean, on snow. Of course, you can put it out there on top of the snow, and the snow will carry it in as well. If you're uh, so inclined to walk around on your lawn that's got three or four inches of snow on it, you can do it then too. I've a lot of old timers have done it that way and mm-hmm. claim they got the best, best lawn of their life. I prefer to have it down ahead of the snow because uh, there are the the matter of birds uh, determining that that's pretty good bird feed too. So by doing it ahead of the rain or ahead of the snow precipitation, that that carries that seed down to the soil, into the soil, and the birds are a whole lot less likely to pick it back up. Excellent point. Uh, yeah, hadn't thought of that because that would be good feed. Sure. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. That would be gourmet dining. Yeah. Over a dollar a pound for that mm. stuff. But now, if you're buying seed today. Mm-hmm. How soon do you need to get that seed down as far as the seed no longer being able to produce? In other words, if I go out and buy 25 pounds of tri-power seed today, mm-hmm. is that seed still going to be good next April, or should I wait until March to come out to Jackson's? Good question. It's the same seed. The, the harvest was in uh, was in late July, and, and the same seed is going to be in that bag that's there now. You might as well have it and ready to go when when the weather or the mood strikes you to take care of it. So. The, there's no point in waiting. That seed in the bag is going to be good. Uh, let's see. It was uh, tested and harvested 810. So if you get that seed planted by October, November of 2012, you'll still be okay. It's two years. Uh, two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grass seed can stay dormant for two years. You can throw it down. It's still it's going to come up. Right. As long as it's uh, <coughs> dry and uh, uh, well, as long as it's dry and the mice don't get it. So. Okay, all right. 
Good to know, but you might as well get it now, folks, uh, because uh, you pointed out two weeks ago, the last time you were on the show, that seed's never been as cheap as it is now. Not in the last eight or ten years, anyway, though, yeah. for the premium-type uh, fescue. Even uh, K31 is uh, very inexpensive if you want to plant it. But, uh, right, this is the best opportunity and um, in terms of seed pricing. And we still have that sale going on with the new lawn starter and the and the seed, eighty nine ninety nine for um, a 50-pound bag of seed and 10,000 square foot of new lawn starter. And uh, we did just bring in a brand new, another big pallet of the new lawn starter to go with the 40, pa- 40 bags that are going to be on that pallet of, uh, of grass seed. So... Um, I'll tell you what, we've sold more new lawn starter this year than the last three years put together. Really? Yeah. Now, after the August uh, drought, mm-hmm. is that what's caused a lot of the sales? Well, that. And the August drought caught our backyard mm-hmm. big time. It did. Lots yeah. of people. It really did. The lawn was already weakened with that brown patch fungus being present, and the uh, grass just didn't recover from that yeah. at all, So, uh, uh, or very well. Some folks... Uh, uh, were able to tell me that uh, they thought that the uh, tri-power uh, survived better than their neighbors who were using uh, evergreen, for example, as another deal. They um, were pleased that it. They still had some some areas that they were going to have to address, but overall, they felt like the tri-power was a stronger product than some of the other. Uh, What's evergreen? Evergreen is a uh, uh, lower cost. Uh, turf type fescue that's sold by one of our competitors, uh, Tarwaters, and it's a it's been around a long time, and it, it's a it's a just a lower cost mix. Uh, it's not 100 percent pure. You're going to have more weeds, yeah. possibility of a few weeds right. sprouting up. But it's another uh, it's another ten dollars, twelve dollars a bag cheaper, uh, and it's still a, a turf type fescue blend uh, with three three cultivars in it, just not uh, the cultivars are not quite the equal of what we have mm-hmm. uh, in our blend uh, on the tri-power. It's, but it's still uh, better, still better than K31, no question about it. Uh, K31, you're just not high on K31. <laughs> no, I would have been pretty excited about it back in the 50s, uh, back then, because it, uh, yeah, because it's all we basically had. <laughs> So uh, that was it. Yeah, you either planted that or you planted some bluegrass or rye, which really do burn out in um, many lawn settings. Takes higher maintenance grasses, beautiful grasses, but just much higher maintenance. Well, Dave, let's talk about some of the other things we should be doing this weekend. Because again, folks, you need to get that overseeding done if you haven't. But there's some other things we can do this weekend. We can sure plant. Weather permitting? Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. 
We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top of the line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Freudenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, we are back with Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Tomorrow, free lunch day yes. at Jackson's Greenhouse. Right. Now, this is at the 1933 uh, Lower Silver Lake Road right. location. Yep, that's okay. where the Calvary Lutheran uh, folks will be to cook up hamburgers and hot dogs. I made the hamburgers this morning uh, early. Uh, I have a special blend of hamburger that we use that... Uh, people seem to enjoy. Now, this is where you go to church. Mm-hmm. Calvary Lutheran. You said 43rd and North Topeka Boulevard. Right. Okay. Great great group of people up there, and uh, they uh, like to do a little bit of an outreach, and so um, we'll do a free free lunch, uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, potato salad, coleslaw, uh, all the fixings. Uh, between, what's it say, 10.30 and 2.30, or what's the hours there? It says... Put on those little magnifying glasses. 10.30 to 2.30. Yeah. Yes, indeed. These are my dollar glasses. Yep. One dollar. Uh-huh. Uh, 10.30 to 2.30. So for four hours, folks, you can go to Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center again, the one at 1933 Lower Civil Lake Road, and a free lunch. Yep, free lunch. Buying your tri-power seed or whatever you're... Whatever you're doing, or, or just come out. My gosh, we play, we've sold a lot of trees this this uh, past week. Folks are really coming out on the third off sale. Um, the uh, lots of uh, red maples being sold, lots of um, uh, sugar maples, lots of oak trees going out. Just a lot of great uh, great trees. That's a 
that's another thing, of course, that people can do if you've got room for a great shade tree. That's a that's a uh, green responsible green thing to do because uh, trees do, in fact, uh, cool earth temperatures and uh, through the transpiration of the moisture and they add oxygen to the air. Those kinds of things. Now, they grow way better if the CO2 levels are higher. So. Uh, why we've why we've made such a big deal out of the carbon dioxide in our air is beyond me, because uh, we're actually at a quarter, 25% uh, of the levels that it was when uh, the dinosaurs were on the earth, and and uh, I don't recall the dinosaurs dying of uh, of uh, heat exhaustion or anything else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and there's never been any proof that they did, most of the theory. Well, the last time you were on the show and we were talking about trees, uh, you said the maples were your big sellers. Still are then. Yep. Nothing unpredictable has happened as far as a tree really uh, growing roots and taking off, so to speak, pardon the pun. <laughs> so your maples are still leading the pack. Yeah, they're still the one that folks uh, uh, love to see. We. Um, I'm surprised. You know, I would think fruit trees would be bigger. Well, now simply because you're getting a return on your investment we're talking, with a fruit tree. We're talking shade trees here in ornamentals that I was talking about. Fruit trees I consider a different class, and we do have those on sale for 25% off. And I brought in uh, I don't know a couple hundred here not long ago, and they're sitting in the middle of the parking lot. So, so yeah, um, fruit trees are right up there with them. And uh, the good part about the five-gallon fruit trees that we sell, most of those will have some fruit next year, a little bit, not a lot. But uh, you can plan on, on harvesting a half a dozen or, or more apples off of a newly planted tree next year. Now, you need two apple trees, don't you? Except for red delicious apple trees need a cross-pollinator. That's correct. Boy, you're getting good at this. I'm telling you. Apricot and peach uh, are self-pollinators, okay. as are pie cherries. Mm -hmm. So um, found something out, though, in this past week since I last talked to you. Montmorency pie cherry is considered by Oregon State or one of the Washington State, one of those colleges out there I was uh, on their website to be a pollinator for the Bing cherry. So uh, if that's a, if that's the case, if, if they're correct, then a uh, you can have a pie cherry and a black cherry, sweet cherry, a dessert cherry mm -hmm. and one for mm -hmm. and the other one Montmorency's for pies. Mm -hmm. So that uh, is kind of exciting to me. Uh, you learn something all the time. Uh, K-State has, hasn't ever listed the Montmorency as a, a Bing pollinator. Now, Bings uh, here uh, don't do well in many parts of Kansas, but uh, according to the, my customers, their Bing cherries uh, do just fine. The big challenge, of course, is keeping the birds from eating them all before you get a chance to get at them. So mm -hmm. you do have to, uh, should throw a net over, or we've got these owls you can hang in the tree and uh, you know, plastic owls. That Out of your big sellers on the fruit trees, which is your most vulnerable tree? Cherry. Cherry would be a No question about it. Cherries really abhor heavy, wet soils, and that's, of course, what we mostly have around here. So when people plant a cherry, I tell them basically just if, if they live out southwest or they live out southeast or far north up there uh, in those clay hills, um, you really ought to consider just planting the tree about four to six inches in the ground and then getting your compost or uh, and or a soil mix and berm up to it 
so that your root system can grow out laterally instead of trying to grow down into this this septic tank hole or sump, sump pump hole yeah. or whatever that's holding water down there. Yeah. So uh, cherries, by far, people either tend to overwater them or plant them uh, in soil that's just not uh, not doesn't drain well enough. You know, and there's nothing you can do when we have, like last June, six eight inches of rain uh, in big in big clumps of rain. That cherry's going to drown even if you don't water it because there's nowhere for that water to go. If the water uh, sits in that hole for 24 hours, then basically you've lost that tree. Okay. And that's your most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. The least vulnerable. If you want to plant a fruit tree. People have a hard time killing apples for the most part. They, that would be the least vulnerable. Mm -hmm. There you need two trees. Right. Trees, uh, right. And, uh, yeah, and you should have two trees. Or I have... Uh, trees that uh, have a couple varieties on them. Now, when we say two trees, if you've got a neighbor that's got an apple tree, how far away can they cross-pollinate? I don't want to spend money for two trees. I just want one, and I've got neighbors around the neighborhood that have apple trees. Right. Is that going to be okay? Sure. That'll be fine. If you're uh, within... A quarter of a mile. quarter of a mile. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll yeah. pollinate within a quarter of a mile. 1,200 feet. Yeah, basically. Really? Sure. Okay. Okay. If your little bees are in good shape. Okay. They're, huh. they're bee pollinated. They travel back and forth and pollinate your tree. Okay. So for somebody that wants fruit production mm -hmm. with the least amount of work, the Maybe. least amount of hassle, it's going to be apples. Mm -hmm. Basically, right. Plant it. Go down to Jeremiah Bullfrogs, drink a beer, mm -hmm. watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> You're done for the day. Right. Huh? Huh. Yep. So anyway, um, that's 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 probably the easiest one for most people um, and uh, but you need to know what tree your neighbor has because it can't be two of the same kind of apple I mean you know a, a Macintosh is not going to pollinate another Macintosh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to that'd be like uh, identical twins trying to mate that's not a good thing it won't happen just won't happen <laughs> right now, uh, fruit trees are 25% off yep. this and, week. And they're basically... Every other tree is a third off. A third okay. off, right. Um, the fruit trees are 44.99, and so that gets them down to 29.99. I mean, at uh, 32.49, at 32.74, at 25% off. Mm -hmm. So, um, you uh, that's a good savings on a fruit tree. Especially, this, these trees are... Five eighths to three quarters to even an inch in caliper, uh, and and we'll have fruit, some fruit next year. So it's it's a great opportunity. I'd say that our fruit tree sales uh, over the course of the last two or three years have more than doubled. Does that normally happen when you have an economic yes, decline? It sure does. That's when people start, you know, purchasing trees that are going to produce something that's right. edible. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Because unless you catch a sale on apples at ninety nine cents a pound, which is which is just two or three apples anyway, and a pound is maybe three apples. Uh, you know, you can make up your money in a big hurry in the second and third year. Yeah, yeah, so. makes all the sense in the world to me. Right. So, okay, and that sale's going to run for how long? Till uh, we can't plant trees, uh, apple trees anymore. I, w I want to move those out. Uh, those uh, 
fruit trees out so I don't have to move them back out of the parking lot and over into a bed. Dave Jackson, pruning works the same for fruit trees as it does a traditional tree. When and how do you prune? When, when we say the word prune, what does that mean? Which, in, what are the do's and don'ts? In fruit trees, of course, the, you're going you're gonna to prune fruit trees when the sap is down, and that's going to be after several hard freezes. Most fruit tree growers um, do their trees in January and February, nice days. And uh, that's when you do it. And with fruit trees, your, your, uh, your techniques are a lot different because you want to keep the middle of the tree open. So any branches that are headed up into the center of the tree or headed across the center of the tree, those come out. And you try to develop a structure that's strong uh, with good branching angles, uh, more than like 60 degrees, 60 to 90 degree angles is what you're aiming for so that your tree has strength, so that it's open, so that uh, sun can come in and, and you can get fruit developed in the center of the tree rather than just out on the edges. And, of course, uh, so that the wind can blow through it rather than blow it down. Mm -hmm. In Kansas, uh, the wind is always a factor. Mm -hmm. So there's different techniques for fruit trees. Than, uh, and different fruit trees have also different techniques. And we have the uh, K-State uh, Extension Services uh, bulletins on that. And we'll give you free. free basically, January, dead of winter, is the safest time to prune a tree. That's the best time. Now when you prune, what do you mean by pruning a tree? Cutting a branch, where and how? Well, you always cut a branch at a collar, uh, and that's where the the juncture is. You don't leave knobs up, and you don't cut into the into the supporting branch or, or stem. It's a it's you prune the whole. We're not going to tip prune a, a tree uh, to speak of because you want that new uh, spur. Fruit bearing spurs are the little twigs that come up that actually the new growth is what has the apples on it. So you have to be careful. You, all you're trying to do is, is get your uh, structure open, and uh, your and by that I mean you're pruning branches, not uh, not tips, and not you know you're not pruning it to. Uh, do you come all the way into the trunk of the tree to prune then? Well, if it's on a, ma a major lateral, and it's got uh, shoots growing up the top of it, or a shoot going back towards the center. Then you're you're pruning off of the also off of the major laterals. You're gonna <coughs> you're gonna have your major structure branches, and you choose those as the tree grows up, so that they're halfway balanced, uh, and and a decent uh, bit apart, so that your tree stays open. You choose your laterals; those would be the ones as the tree's growing that you would you would prune to the center from the uh, major ones. And then once you get those pruned, then you have to then make sure your lateral uh, branches are uh, properly pruned as well. So it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, uh, you can prune a, a, a decent-sized uh, fruit tree in 15 minutes if, oh, you, wow. if, you, if you do it every year. <coughs> yeah. Now, you say fruit trees prune in January, February, dead of winter. Mm -hmm. But you December. said fruit trees. What about traditional maples, oaks? Well, maples, uh, of course... Uh, for example, when that sap's rising, you're gonna if you wait until March or April, you're gonna have all this sap running down the side of your tree. That's never good. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I mean, it's it's unsightly. It doesn't really hurt the tree. But um, my thought is that after we get our first freezes, this would be a great time. The sap's drop down into the tree, or down the sap's dropping, 
and you can prune those any time in uh, November, December, January. Okay. Okay. And um, you can also prune <coughs> trees, uh, shade trees, any time pretty much all summer long. But it, in that spring period, when sap's rising and you make a fresh cut, you're going to have kind of a mess, especially maples, sugar maples, and red maples and silver maples, especially maples. That's but it really doesn't hurt anything. I mean, it's just going to be messy. Right. But as far as hurting the integrity, the structure of the tree, you're okay doing it then. Right. Okay. But, but okay. people call really panicked about that kind of thing every every spring. Yeah. I've cut my tree and now it's bleeding. What in the world am I going to do? Yeah. I've yeah. killed my tree. <laughs> <laughs> Tree's going to survive quite nicely. Yeah. Most okay. cases, yeah. Unless they've really done something <coughs> really bad. Like take that tree in, that cut back in past that cambium layer, that that collar that I've talked about that comes out of the side of the tree, and they've done it all the way around the tree. They could they could have actually circumscribed the whole tree and uh, and kill it. I mean, then there's so no way you can save a tree that where you've gone all the way around the trunk. Well, it's gone. Except it'll grow up from the bottom again, but you've lost everything above it. It'll grow up. You'll get a root. Uh, seedling or a branch coming up and it'll but you're starting all over then with a little tiny tree mm -hmm. so yep. anyway we need another break don't we let's take one dave jackson jackson's greenhouse and garden center boy we're just about out of time we're kind of quick break stay tuned folks jackson's greenhouse your plant shopping center let jackson put a big smile on your home Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers 
first top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Freudenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lower Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. We are back, and we are just about out of time. Wow. Yeah, we let's, let's talk about some of the other sales that you've got going on at Jackson's this weekend. And, again, we're talking about free lunch yep. at the original location, 1933 Lower Civil Lake Road, 1030 to 230. Right. Free hamburgers, hot dogs, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Potato salad, the whole bit. If they choose uh, to uh, uh, make a donation to the Helping Hands Humane Service, I'll have a little jug there. I always... Uh, Try to collect a little bit of money for those folks. If and if they choose not, that's fine too. I don't care. Uh, but we'll whatever money is donated, we'll turn over to them uh, next week. The uh, other new item that's on sale this week for the first time are all of our shrubs and ornamental and roses and all of that kind of stuff. Twenty-five percent off mm-hmm. if you buy more than f- five or more, not more than five, five or more. Thirty-three percent off, just like the other stuff. We uh, and this isn't just leftovers. We're picking up nursery promos from other from nurseries that are desperate, basically, to sell stuff. And, and we've got probably ten pallets of new material sitting in the parking lot, brand new stuff that we're still marking down. It's not like we're we didn't sell anything all summer. Where this is all new things. We're uh, uh, bringing in a, a shipments a couple of shipments per week from different nurseries. We've got these blue, beautiful, beautiful Oregon blue spruces that we're selling for fifty nine ninety nine. Uh These would be trees that uh, that are competitors that are going to be uh, at least double that. Um, hmm. but, uh, because we uh, paid this nursery cash and took a, a, a fairly significant load, they they uh, reduced their price significantly, and, and they're just gorgeous blue spruces. Oregon grown, nice trees, uh, 59.99. And so, now's a good time to <coughs> good time to plant. Yep, this is a great time to plant. It sure is. Just now that's one of your healthier trees, right? Blue spruce doesn't have the disease challenges that the pines do, or the pine, or the, like the pine wilt that's caused by that uh, the beetle. So it's a it's uh, it's not going to grow as fast as pines, but uh, properly mulched and fertilized twice a year, you can get... Uh, well, your pines aren't going to last that long, by and large. Are they in Shawnee County? I mean, we've had the disease. Do we have that under control? Do no. we have anything? It's endemic. There's nothing that uh, you have to con- you have to spray every year to c- keep that spore from blowing in because we've got so many pine trees now that essentially that you'll have to control other people's disease on your trees because it... In the spring, May, uh, that spore is released and, and can blow half a mile uh, to your tree and, and infect it. And what you're trying to do 
by spraying them. Remember, we've talked about fungicides. Those are better as a preventer. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep that sprayed three times across the month of May, uh, two weeks apart, basically. can be slightly earlier, can be slightly later, depending on our weather and when those new candles, the shoots at the tip of the, the uh, evergreen, whether it's a pine uh, or whatever you want to protect from uh, infection by those new spores. Coming to me in, in August and saying my tree's got brown stuff in it, I didn't. Uh, there's nothing I can do about that. Those trees, those branches aren't going to turn green again. They're dead. Oh, they're gone. <laughs> now, the lucky part is that there's still the bud on the end that's going to come out next year. So you better get with it next year. Make sure. And I, I try to uh, set up a written thing for people if they, uh, of when to spray next year and what to use, how much to use on a, each size tree. They come in, we'll, we'll advise them and tell them what to, what to do. But there are, there, it's easily controlled if you just do it with the right time. Yep. Hose-in sprayer works great. I mean, you just hook it on the end of your hose, go spray it. takes about five minutes to do a tree or less, but you just need to do it. For somebody that uh, is not a regular listener of the show, what's the difference between a pine and a spruce? Well, uh, uh, pinus and picea are the Latin names. Picea is the spruce, pinus is the pine. They're evergreens. Uh, the length of the needle is the best way to tell the difference. Pines, pines, all of pines are going to have needles two inches or longer, and spruce are going to have needles an inch or shorter. Basically, I mean, if you want to tell the difference, you can buy green spruce or, or blue spruce. You can buy green pine or blue pine, but uh, it's the length of the needle, and basically, and that's the difference. Long needles, pine. Short needles, spruce. Spruce or a few people grow, try to grow fur around here. It's not very successful, but there are some aficionados that, that like to try to grow every kind of evergreen they possibly can here. But a fur is also... That was your traditional Christmas tree when you were a kid growing up. You'd go to the grocery store or wherever and get one of those. That was a fur tree. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's coming to Jackson's, you're going to recommend spruce because uh, of the disease-free aspect of it. But again, it's not going to grow as fast. Right. But you're going to have a healthier, longer-lasting tree. Right. Unless they really want to pine and they're willing to spray. <coughs> so there you go. But anyway, that's that's where we're at now in uh, Shawnee County. we got time for one more sales item. We do? Here. What is it? I don't know. What is it? What is it? Huh? I can't remember Surpri- what's the important. Surprises. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, the other uh, sale item that uh, we're doing, we've... Uh, Got all of our perennials on 25% off sale and and or flat sales as well. And the secret coupon is 25% off the coupon now. Only the coupon in the paper. 25% off on all pots, planters, and statuary with coupons. Take advantage of it, folks. Seven days a week, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. The original location, 1933 Lower Silver Lake Road. The new location, 61st and Fairlawn. And, folks, any time during the week or the weekend, if you have a gardening or a question, Long question. You can always call Jackson's 232-3416. Have a great weekend. We will see you Monday. Dave Jackson will see you next Friday. All righty.